Holy <laughs> Bane Slayer Angel. I got the magic in me. Every time I touch that track, it turns into gold. Everybody knows I got the magic in me. When I hit the flow, the girls come snapping at me. Now everybody wants the rest of magic. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 20 of Yo MTG Taps. Do you think we ever make it this far? Oh my god, no. <laughs> I'm Joey Pasco here with Big Head Joe. Hi, can podcasts get cancelled? I mean, like, really. Uh, I've heard I mean, some of them have been cancelled, but... Yeah, I don't know. I don't understand how podcasts can get cancelled when, like, you can just hit record on something. Like, I've had... like, I guess you can always just keep making something and making it available however you want, but, you know... Television shows tend to cost a lot of money, and if the people paying for the show say, hey, we're not going to pay for this anymore, you're welcome to keep producing your show, <laughs> but we're not going to show it and we're not going to pay for it. So I think that's why they stop. So, um, uh, yeah, so in today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about our experiences with Rise of the Eldrazi Limited, just a couple stories and interesting uh, anecdotes, I suppose. Uh, we're going to make a special announcement about the future of our website. And then we have a phone-in guest, who actually we called him, but, you know, phone-in, you get it. Um, <laughs> Scott McCallum, who's, uh, who, who talks to us uh, quite a bit about the potential decks for the upcoming Standard Environment. So, um, and it was his birthday today. That's right, it was his birthday, so uh, happy birthday, Scott. I know you won't, aren't going to hear this until uh, a couple days from now, but we did tell you happy birthday on the phone, so, you know, that counts too. <laughs> so, uh... So let's see. You want to start off with um, with our announcement? Yeah. Well, actually, you know what? The first thing I'm going to do is welcome officially our new listeners from Top Eight Magic. Um, I wanted to give a special thanks to BDM and Matt Wang, and of course Mike Michael J, who helped us uh, helped us out getting us up onto TopEightMagic.com. Um, pretty awesome, exciting yeah. for us. We've we're just really uh, really you know excited to be available now on on such a cool. Site with the you know such an elite cast of characters. Right, right. We're in such good company on that site. That's so awesome. Not that we aren't in good company on the other sites we're on, but right, uh, right. But but, I mean, Top Eight Magic is really like for me is really like the epitome of of quality, like podcasting and and, like quality information as far as like you know decks and right. I mean, it's one of those go to sites. Right. So so it's exciting for us. So uh, welcome to any new listeners. you know, stick with us. We, you know, we don't always uh, have. We're not always right. You know, we're not going to claim that. But you know, we we try to put out a, a decent show every week, and, and just just you know, it's free. So like, like I'm just saying, it's free, and we we try to entertain you. We talk about magic. I'm just saying, like from the perspective of somebody who, like, say five six years ago. Just was like I have my iPod and I was like God I wish I could just listen to a radio show about people talking about magic you know I just want to do this and there was like one show and it was the Mana Vault right and they made like a couple of episodes maybe five I don't know maybe they had ten whatever but they just disappeared I don't know what happened to them hmm. then there was this show that came on and there was this British guy and like I I like started at episode two and it was Monday Night Magic and like I was you know I was like. Great, it's a show I can listen to, and you know, obviously blossomed into the biggest network of podcasts uh, for magic available. So, um, 
I'm just saying. I just, I'm just, uh, I'm glad that we can be part of that kind of thing where, where we're just going to talk about magic and you can listen to us if you feel like it, you know? Yeah. That's all. Um, but uh, thanks for listening. Anybody who's given us a chance, like, uh, we, we hope you keep listening. We're 20 episodes in. I mean, it's, That's, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting. It's, we have a lot of fun. Doing yeah. It, so, um, wouldn't do it if we didn't love it. So absolutely. So, uh, did you want to make the announcement now? Yeah, definitely. So, um, I work for Amazing Spiral Comics and Games and such. Um, although that's that, not to be confused with games and comics and stuff in, right. uh, in Glen Burnie, in Glen right. Burnie, but free no, plug there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're welcome, guys. Um, but I work for Amazing Spiral Comics in Hamden, and I had been kind of nagging Sheldon to do an online store to sell magic singles, and he was a little reluctant to do it, and, you know, we went back and forth on it for a little while, but now I'm pleased to say that by the time you uh, hear this, the store will be live, um, and it's mostly going to be dealing with standard, because, I mean, that's our that's our focus, so naturally that's going to be the store's focus, too, um, and, uh, you know, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a modest little operation, but... Uh, right. But it, I, mean, I think our prices are good, and you know, and, and also that's also um, as it were, it would be our sponsor, um, right? Yeah. So we're going to be sponsored by I Want My MTG, which is the online Bidwicket store, <laughs> right? Which is also our site, IWantMyMTG.com. So right. So basically, you know, I guess what what I want to make sure comes across is that you're buying from. Us, I guess, or, or technically buying from Sheldon. Sheldon, right? Amazing Spiral, but it's being run by you, right? right. So if you, so, so if you buy, if you like, do you want to, do you want to buy singles from some random guy, or do you want to buy singles from Big Head Joe? I mean, come right. on, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm going to be packaging all the orders. So like, if 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 you get something and you're unhappy with it, you can just shoot us an email, and it, right. it's me. I'm not going to like give you the company line. I'll, I'll talk to you. You know, I'll tell you what's up. So so yeah so. Um, so, so if you want standard singles, check uh, out IWantMyMTG.com. There will be a link. So, uh, yeah, so that'll be pretty cool. Um, now, now, this is something, I, I didn't even bring this up to you, but it's been mentioned on MTGCast before, um, but uh, I um, I got a tweet from Dan Alpers, who uh, who basically is organizing this thing. I think he's been doing it for a while now. Mm-hmm. But um, it's Games for Troops, and you can donate cards that they send to the troops. Surprise. Um, and, uh, so basically I just wanted to mention that. So if you want more information about how to donate some cards, uh, to the troops, go to CC Gamers, which is, is centralcorridorgamers.com, or .org, I'm sorry, so it's ccgamers.org, I'm going to put a link in the show notes, um, you know, whatever kind of things you can donate as far as, uh, as far as magic cards, I think you should, uh, you know, if you're interested in doing that, take a look. Also wanted to mention the new standard open. This yes, weekend. We, absolutely. Um, it is this Saturday in Baltimore at Xanadu Games. In Catonsville. In Catonsville. Uh, it's 10.30, I think. Is that the... 9.30 sign-ups, 10.30 first round starts, so get there early. Right, so you can uh, get more information on o2drop.com. That's right, and also, uh, I guess we should mention the other places you can find us every week. I mean, obviously, mtgcast.com, uh, starkingtonpost.com, o2drop.com, top8magic.com. And I want my MTG.com. Damn right. That's our site. That's right. Okay, so let's actually move on to some content here. 
So the pre-release and the release tournaments were, were in the last two weekends. We, yeah. We played a lot of Rise of the Eldrazi Limited. Oh, it's been so much fun, too. Do you have any funny stories or interesting um, game states? Oh, yeah. I, I have a couple, but I think you might, too. Oh, yours is the best, but... Uh, I've got a couple, but yeah. Yeah. But, okay, so... Well, anyway, I just want to talk about lessons I learned over the last week. That um, sounds good. Because, I mean, I was going to blog about this, and I still might. I still have my sealed pull together from uh, the launch party, because mm-hmm. I think it was, you know, I made some choices that were significantly better than the choices I made uh, at the pre-release. The pre-release, I played black-red, I went 2-2, and I mean, I went 3-1 the following week, but the difference between 2-2 and 3-1 is leaps and bounds, really. Um, I I had a plan going into the launch party. I was like, alright, I'm gonna play blue. I'm like, blue plus. Blue, I kept telling Joe, blue slash X slash X, <laughs> like, was my plan. And it sounded like a very vague plan, but the one thing I learned playing um, Sealed at the pre-release, it's like, if you miss a land drop, you lose. Like, you can't be missing those land drops. And I guess that's, you know, almost true for uh, all aspects of playing Magic. But, um, um, I played Black Red at the pre-release, and it just wasn't enough. Like, everything I had, like, the, the the burn spell, there was a lot of burn spells which sucked me in. I always had the wrong burn spell at the wrong time. Just always felt like it was just not enough every game I played. Um, I mean, fortunately, I had a Keening Stone and won three of my four games on the back of that. Um, otherwise, I, I have this feeling I would have gone one, three, or worse. Um, so... Uh, so my plan was, okay, blue has lots of different card draw library manipulation. I was like, so I'm going to put every single card draw spell that I can stand to play in this deck. And then I'm going to play anything that makes Eldrazi spawn tokens, as many of those cards as I possibly can. And, you know, and I'm thinking green because green has more mana fixing and then maybe red or black splash, um, or something like that. So that was kind of my plan going into everything. I opened my sealed pool on Friday night for the launch party, and the blue was there. The blue was right where I wanted it to be. I was really happy with that. I even, when I, because I, you know, I ran this tournament, I gave out three spawn tokens to everyone who signed up, because we had cracked a case for singles, and I had a bunch of spawn tokens left over, so I just was handing out three spawn tokens to everyone who signed up, because I assumed everyone would have lots of stuff with spawn tokens. Right. I open my six packs, I get a dread drone, and two spawning breaths. (laughs) Those are the only things I have. I can make four spawn tokens total out of my sealed pool. (laughs) I was like, come on, like, I, I, so, so there goes part two of my plan. So I was like, okay, fine, so I'll, I'll stay in green, you know what I mean? I'm mm-hmm. like, because green, I do have my mana fixing in green. Of course there were no growth spasms, and I opened right. like two or three of them in my sealed pool the first week. Right. Um, so, <laughs> so I wind up running like Andu Giant and like things like that, whatever, I don't know. The point is I wound up going white, I'm sorry, blue... Green with a splash of white for the core line slinger. Thanks, BDM. Uh, <laughs> for like a smite, which actually wound up being boarded in later, and some other white card, Knight of Cliff Clavin. Um, <laughs> right, right, right. And uh, so I, ra- I ran that, 
And then blue levelers, I had one venerated teacher, which I think only came up once. But my bomb was Sphinx of Magosi. I think you played that venerated teacher against me. I think so. Sure you did. Yeah, I did, but it didn't really affect the things think, too yeah. much at that point. Um, I don't think. Yeah, I can't remember. Um, but Sphinx of Magosi was the bomb. Uh, <laughs> literally and figuratively. Um, it was all that in a bag of chips. Um, <laughs> bag of chips that you just draw off the top of your library for every three mana. Oh right? my god! I, I would if I could have had a potato chip for every card I drew off the top of my library from that sucker. I'd you would have had a bag of chips. I'd have had a bag of chips. <laughs> so uh, so so anyway, yeah. um, I wound up going. I wound up going three one. Um, second only to the two three zero ones. Uh, one of which was Joe. Um, <laughs> That was a close game. That was close. I mean, that close. I mean, that, our match was close. Yeah, no, it was. It, it was. was. It, I just I wanted to talk about that because I had a pretty decent hand, and you mulliganed the five, and I think you had what four lands and a sphinx, mm-hmm. and you were just like, "I'm gonna play it," you know. And it got to the point where, like, even though I, I curved out pretty well, you you were able to play that sphinx. I don't know if it was right on turn six or you played it on turn five with some sort of something, uh, you know, some sort of acceleration, but. Um, I just had my one flyer, and I think we were, I think I was swinging, we were swing like, kind of trading back and forth, like, you were swinging, I was like, alright, I'll take six, and I would swing back with, like, a flyer and a couple of little ground guys, you know, and it, it got to the point where I was at six life, and I had my one flyer to block with, and I thought, alright, if he has something to remove this flyer, that's game, but otherwise, next turn, I had, I think I had uh, Eldrazi Conscription in my hand, mm-hmm. I, I had, like, options in my hand that I was like, I'm, I'm in this game, I don't know if I could win the next turn, but I might have even had something. Oh, I think I might have had Smite in my hand to deal with your Sphinx. You know, I block, I kill it. Well, you, he, he had the, uh, the regress. Is that yeah. what? He had the regress to bounce my flyer, and then I you know, had no way, of, uh, <coughs> no way of blocking the Sphinx anymore. So that was game one. Yeah. Game two was quite a bit longer, I think, it but a- it got to the point where I played Transcendent Master, leveled him all the way up, and put Eldrazi Conscription on him. And uh, Joe was just like, uh, we had eight minutes left, I think. Right. It was like, we're going to draw. It was like, well, let's just, you just scooped. I think yeah. it was the smartest thing to do because otherwise <clears throat> it would have been a draw. Right. Because I might not have been able to win. It would have taken me another couple turns to win. And then right. the third game, I think, you know, it was just fast. And I think it just, uh, what I beat you with Wildheart Invoker ended up being the key card in the win there mm-hmm. because those invokers are awesome. And being able to just give something plus five, plus five and trample, I mean, that was, that was it. Oh man, so I, I definitely, you just reminded me, I definitely want to talk about my round one. Okay. My round one win was just brutal. I got to um, talk about my round one as well. This was round you're, two. You're you round, you yeah. and I played each other in round two. So we you, did. In round one, you tell me about your round one story. Okay, so um, so my opponent uh, goes, uh, he drops Ulamog's Crusher, right? I'm like, okay, that's big. <laughs> um, so then I go, Gelatinous Genesis for three, three, threes. Three, three, threes. <laughs> He swings in with the with the crusher. I go sacrifice a land, sacrifice the one five reach guy because he didn't have any flyers. Block with the three genesis like three tokens, the two die, his guy dies, mm-hmm. my guy, my one guy lives. So then he drops Spawn Sire Volmog. <laughs> oh my god. I'm like, excellent. So um the next turn I drop Sphinx of Magosi. And I think at this point, he was at 23, and I was at 20. That's, that's exactly right. Okay. So, um, 
So he, so I drop the Sphinx, and then he comes in with the Spawn Sire. I sacrifice the land, chump block with the O six Halmar Wave Watch, right? Mm -hmm. and then I come in for eight with the Sphinx. I, you know, right? You had been drawing cards. Drew two cards. I come in with eight with, with the Sphinx. So he's at fifteen. Fifteen. Next turn comes in with the Spawn Sire again. Sacrifice the land, chump with the token, mm -hmm. and um. And then he goes, Sarkin the Mad, sacrifice something, make a dragon, go. So I go, okay. I top deck regress. I had domestication in my hand. So I was like, alright, <laughs> this is going to be good. So, um, so I go, uh, bounce your... Oh, oh then he spider umbred the token, too. So it's oh, okay, umbra, right, so right. it's totem armor. So I go, bounce the token, swing for nine. Okay, so he's at six, um, and then he he got he actually got in twice with the spawn sire. So he might have played it a turn earlier than I'm thinking because he got me to thirteen and then to six. Okay, or I might not have chumped in one of those spots. I don't remember. He got me down to six life mm -hmm. the next turn with the spawn sire. Okay. Sacrifices a spawn to make another dragon token. So I go domestication on the dragon token, <laughs> and then come in for the win. That's awesome. And. Uh, and he was just like, man, like, it was just, it was brutal. But, uh... Eldrazi, two Eldrazi and a Planeswalker. That's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> this format is, it can be pretty sick. It was, it was really ridiculous. I've I mean, never seen such big things happening on tables. Now, and speaking of which, I played a game that was absolutely nuts. I, I, I don't remember the, the specifics of it, uh, like, as, as closely or as accurately as you do about your match, but... Basically, I'm playing against a red-green deck, and I've, I drop a Transcendent Master, and I manage to level him up, but in the meantime, he drops the Kazandu Tusk Caller and levels it all the way up. I, I have, my removal is all, like, attacking block. It's like smite and puncturing light. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if he attacks I, and I block something, I can smite it, or if he attacks and has, you know, three power or less, I can puncturing light it. Is that what it's called, puncturing mm -hmm. light? So, of course, he's not doing any of that with that Tusk Caller. He's popping out elephants. But, so basically, he's got infinite chump blockers, but I've got a 9-9 lifelink, which I actually put a spider umbra on, so it's a 10-10 lifelink, mm -hmm. because I, I like to, it, it's pretty much all my eggs in one basket, but I'm like, you know, I drop the, the Transcendent Master, and I put an umbra on it, basically saying, all right, you know, you need to kill this twice, or oust it, or regress it, or something, to... To deal with this, you but know? he's playing red green, right? But he's playing red green, so I'm like, he doesn't have Alston, he doesn't have regress, <laughs> so I'm like, I'm putting Spider Umber on him like right away. So mm -hmm. you know, he's right already a four four, and I'm you know leveling him up, and it it at some point, um, you know, so he's got like these chump infinite chump blockers, but I'm still it, it it's like this kind of parody situation where it's like I'm swinging, he's chumping, but I'm gaining a ton of life. So even if he swings back, I'm not losing all that much. You know, I'm, I'm it's kind of you know, this back and forth, and um, at some point he plays Traitor's Instinct, stealing my <laughs> my guy and swings at me for 12, so he gains 12, I take 12, I'm still at like 18 or something at this point, um, and then, uh, that's what happened. So he's building up this army of elephants, and, and you know, I'm trying to try to at least put out some jump blockers for any kind of big swing that he tries to do, and he plays uh, World, what is it, World at War, which is 
it gives you two combat phases, and it's got rebound. So I'm like, oh god. <laughs> so he swings with with everything. I you know try to take I take a lot of damage. I try to chump and, and make you know the best blocks and things that I can to at least maybe take out some elephants. And uh, so he swings twice. He hits me for like 27 in one turn or something. And, and now I'm down into my into the teens again. You know after having gained a bunch. But um, goes my turn. And uh, I play Eldrazi Conscription on the Transcendent Master, so he's a uh, he's an what now he's an eighteen eighteen. But in the meantime, I had played that Leveler that gives other creatures plus one plus one. So he's like a nineteen nineteen Lifelink, uh, Trample, Trample Annihilator two, Indestructible, Reach Reach yeah, <laughs> and he's got the Totem Armor on him still. And I'm just like, go. He's got the World at War to rebound to do, and he, it doesn't even want to do it, because all, all I have to do is chump block twice, and I gain 40 life. It was ridiculous. And so, of course, he doesn't. I mean, it was just nuts. And eventually, I won that game, but it was like, it was such a struggle because of, uh, <clears throat> just because he had those infinite amount of chump blockers. But you won that start... game at, like, what, 91 life? Yeah, because at that point, now I have trample. So, right. like, I'm... I'm attacking, and he's, like, blocking to absorb as much damage, and I end up, you know, eventually taking out all of his his chump blockers because he can't absorb... You know, he's not chumping anymore when it has uh, trample. You know, it's not as much of a chump, so he can't absorb so much. But it, it was just ridiculous. I just... I couldn't believe the board, you know. It's one thing for me to have a Transcendent Master with Eldrazi Conscription and Spider Umbra on it, but for him to have so many chump bloggers in the game to go on as long as it did, it was like epic. It was just ridiculous. Um, and, and I did that. I ended up doing it three times in the tournament with having the Transcendent Master with the Eldrazi conscription on it. One, you know, the next time I did it was with you. Mm-hmm. And you just scooped to it. The last time I did it, I ended up playing it um, on, on the Transcendent Master. And the next turn, he top decks Ulamog to destroy the Eldrazi conscription. Mm. So, um, you know, I couldn't. I didn't get as much use out of it that time. I could have done it a fourth time because in my in round three I had a transcendent master and um, knight of Cliffhaven or Cliff Claven. I decided to put the Eldrazi conscription on the knight this time instead of the transcendent master just to you know uh, spread things out and make both of them a lot more threatening. Did you have any other uh, limited limited anecdotes? Oh yeah, like just just stupid random thing. Two times during the uh, launch party, I used Sea Beyond, shuffled a card into my library, and then, then top deck that card. <laughs> and once was against me, right? That and, 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 crusher. And it wasn't terrible because, like, I really was having trouble picking what to mm-hmm. shuffle in both of those times. <laughs> so, like, I finally made a choice and then shuffled it up and got it right back. I was like, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um... Well, I guess since we're done with that, um, some of you, if you've uh, if you've visited IWantMyMTG.com anytime recently, um, we put up a poll on the t-shirt design. Um, we had, like, I think six options, or was it eight? I can't even remember now. But we've narrowed it down to three. We took the top three, and, and we made a new poll. So the, the finals, as far as what the t-shirt design is going to be, um, is uh, is up right now. So go to IWantMyMTG.com and you can vote on that. Don't be um, surprised, though, if uh, it doesn't register your votes 
for anything but the orange and white and blue. Oh, did you set it up that way? <laughs> I might. Joe, Joe voted for the orange and blue one. Well, anyway, I just want to say that there's enough. There's a there's a snag. <laughs> there's a snag. Just I just want to make, make. It's not even really a snag. It's just another option we have. Right. Um, I have a uh, another offer as far as the t-shirts go, which will make the t-shirts uh about half as expensive. Um, you know, not that they're expensive anyway, but I mean we. The the shirts will end up being somewhere around eight dollars each if I take this other avenue. But the the drawback to that is that it's not going to be the designed. It's not going to be the uh, you know whatever wins in this. What it's going to be is we're going to have a variety of T-shirts of different colors, and it's going to be uh, one color of ink. So it's going to be more. It's gonna, basically the shirt's going to be two colors, whatever the color of the shirt is and whatever color the ink is. And I can only print on one side, so the URL is going to be on the front. A lot of people want that on the back. So basically, I'm going to have to put up another poll, um, you know, so that you guys can decide: Would you rather have a shirt that is maybe not exactly the look that you wanted, not the specific, you know, URL on the back, two-color, super, uh, you know, nice, awesome shirt for you know somewhere between fifteen and twenty bucks, or, or you know, hopefully cheaper on the cheaper end of that, but. Or do you want one that costs roughly $8 that just is on the front? Um, and, and we might have different colors for you to choose from. We're going to have a variety. It's going to be like a variety kind of thing. So um, so I'm going to put that up, but I wanted to make mention of that. Um, it is going to be a lot cheaper for everybody uh, if, you know, if we go with that other option. Because I'm not trying to, like I said, it's not like we're trying to make some ridiculous profit. I just want to cover the cost. And so if it costs a lot less, it's going to cost you guys a lot less. Anyway, that's the story with the t-shirts. All right, so coming up next, we're going to have uh, our phone-in guest, Scott McCallum. Um, Mr. Scotty Mac Mr. on Twitter. That's right. Uh, so we're, we're going to close the episode right now, and then we're just going to have our, uh, our conversation with him right after this. Um, so if you would like to get in touch with us, our email is yomtgtaps at gmail.com. Our website is iwantmymtg.com. And uh, we've had several questions recently about, like, what's the deal with your podcast name? And what's the deal with the quotes on the IWantMyMTG.com? And it's like, you guys need to Google I Want My MTV and, uh, and check the Google image results. I mean, we're basically stealing MTV's marketing. That's what it has to do with. <laughs> we're like, you know, Yo MTV Raps. We'll just call ourselves Yo MTG Taps. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at YoMTGTaps. You can follow me on Twitter at Affinity for Blue. You can become a fan of us on Facebook. You can check us out on YouTube. You can... Um, oh, yeah. You want stickers? Uh, e- e- uh, email us your mailing address. Don't just go, oh, my God, I want stickers. Because it happened. It's happened several it times. It happens every time, even after we say, make sure you send us your mailing address so you can send you stickers. <laughs> I get an email, so I hear you guys got some stickers. I would like some signed hats. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, well then, I'm going to digitally transfer them to you now through the computer webs. <laughs> oh, wait, I can't do that. I don't have the technologies. Um, so, are, we, are we done? I think we're done. You seem to be shuffling up. So let's play I'm shuffling up. Let's play a game. And you guys can enjoy uh, our conversation with Mr. Scotty Mack. Word. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Magic, magic, magic. Magic, magic, magic. Magic, magic, magic.
gentlemen. Uh, the topic of today is our favorite topic in the whole wide world. What is that? Yeah, standard. Magic the Gathering? <laughs> standard. Well, Magic the Gathering, yes, but specifically Standard. So we've been playing uh, blue-white control against green-white mythic-ish. Yeah, it's like mythic without the blue. Yeah. I, 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 okay. I, I, just, I just built this deck playing around. Um, Basically, um, yeah, like, Joe's deck is kind of... What, the updates to it were uh, he's got, like... Well, now he's got four Vengevines in there, but that's just as of right now. I had three, and I had a Kozilek in there, and it turned out that Kozilek was very counterintuitive with the deck. Like, yeah, I could cast it, yeah, I could draw four cards, but then he wraths, and I shuffle away all, like, eight of my lands that were in my graveyard, and one of the cards I drew was Knight of the Reliquary. So I was like, oh, great, you just got me a two, you know, bear for three mana, and, um... Yeah, it basically, he had two Vengevines on the board, and I, I had a path in my hand, but at the time he wasn't attacking because I had a Baneslayer in play. And um, and I was kind of sitting there thinking, you know, I can deal with one of these Vengevines, but I don't know how to, you know, I, I can't take care of the other one right now. And then he plays Kozilek, and I had a Wrath in my hand, and I'm like, well, well that deals with it just fine, because I'll kill it all and have to <laughs> shuffle it all back into his library. So I ended up not even needing the Path to Exile. Um, yeah. Well, it's funny, actually. I think my gut says that if you're going to go green-white, you know, I think, and then actually built a deck while we were chatting last night. Yeah. So, and and it, I think the green-white rangers are to go. If you're going to play, you know, I mean, there's so many good green-white threats, right? Like you said, I mean, Mythic without the blue. And, you know, I'm not sure if you need the excessive ramp package that you're getting out of Mythic. You might, you might not. I think that four hierarchs are fine without, you know, you're not looking to color fix as well. I think, you know, the one thing that I really feel like I want for this deck is a set of negates. And, like, I mean, I could, I mean, I'm running the Misty Rainforest. I could always just throw an island in the deck. Um, Because I'm only, I mean, I'm running the deck off of one planes, and it's working out fine. Um... And like, but you also have stirring wild. Woods I have wild woods and, and sun petal grove. Right, but I mean, like, if I have the misties, I have the birds, I have the hierarchs, I have the cobras, so I should be able to like get that blue mana from somewhere if I need a negate in a pinch. You know what I mean? Like, it's so. It, I guess the, I guess my question comes down to because I'm hearing what you're saying. I, I'm just maybe my perspective has been skewed a little bit too much. Like. Honestly, I'm kind of sitting here thinking, okay, so, like, Wrath of the Eldrazi has made a huge impact in terms of the potential speed factor of the game, or, or in premise, should have. Um, and perhaps what I'm doing is I'm taking that uh, a little bit too literally when I'm trying to look at my decks. I'm unsure that we are going to see the explosive ridiculousness. Now, I have Red Chapman's Mono Red all in, and that scares me a little, but outside yeah. of that... That's um, another reason why I want the game... You know, I don't think we're going to need quite as much mana ramp here to get out, you know, all of this stuff insanely. I think there's enough quality threats for us to curve out. You almost, I, took, I built the green-white almost from the perspective of um, of Medina's Junkilla, just from in the idea that you present consistent threats that they must deal with or lose. Right. right? And eventually, they're going to run out of threats. So, I don't know, like, I'm looking at, like, four... Uh, was it four Ranger of Eos, um, four Noble Hierarchs, four Student of Warfare, 
uh, you know, because those are arguably some of the best one-drops available in the colors, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And then I'm looking at, like, four Night of the Reliquaries and uh, four Venge Vines and four Baneflayer Angels. Now, have you thought about the putting uh, Core Skyfisher in? I just kind of feel like it's it's good as far as, um, you know, it's, it's a, obviously already a good creature. It's a 2-3 flyer, but the fact that its synergy with Vengevine seems so good to me. Like, I even thought about just running, um, I, I mean, I, I, it was kind of a crazy, you know, idea, but I was just thinking about having somehow running Vengevine in a blue-white control list out of nowhere, like, with core Skyfishers to make him castable. Almost, It's probably a terrible idea, but it's just, it actually popped into my head, because if he's in the graveyard, I can cast him. For white, white, two by playing two oh, core sky fisher or this one. or playing one core sky core sky fisher right? and um and you know playing it twice bouncing itself, but so it, it, it almost protects yourself. It's built in it, it built in biting insurance, you know, and that's that's honestly where I see this Benjamin card is is it's almost it's like blood gas. You know, super blood gas 2.0. Right. You know, it's like it just keeps coming back unless you pass it. I mean, Joe, you and I both know dealing with blood gas is no fucking sweet time when you're you know pre wall of open. Yeah, exactly. You know, is no fun in a blue light control. Exactly. It's better. So yeah, it's uh, you know, I think Vengevine's such a neat card, and I can't stop thinking about it. I I don't really know that it belongs in blue white control exactly, but it was something that I actually thought about because I can cast it without ever having a green source in my deck. So uh, you know, it was just something weird. But um, Core Skyfisher to me just seems like a really good synergy with Vengevines, and um, and also I was telling Joe this, but. Um, Renegade Doppelganger with Vengevine seems kind of ridiculous. It, you know, we were talking about it, and I kind of shrugged it off when we talked about it on the podcast. But uh, being able to, like, I don't know, even if, especially if Doppelganger is one of the creatures you play, one one of the two creatures you play, and then suddenly a Vengevine comes back, and now you've got two, four, three hastes coming at you. Like, I, it just seems kind of explosive to me. You know, it's just ideas I'm thinking of with Vengevine. And Renegade Doppelganger just seems kind of like it might actually be better than I thought. Well, I play, I actually had one in um, one of my uh, field pools um, in the pre-release. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, maybe it's just a significant absence of non-legendary, immediately effective creatures in that limited format. Uh, but it sucked. Yeah. Really, really badly. Okay. <laughs> you know? Um, now, I see where you, like, I can see the, the situation and agree with you that I think that in standard it's got a far better home than in limited. Um, you know, because there's something about, well, why am I going to waste a removal spell on that stupid bastard? Because he's just a zero-one little tweet guy that does nothing. Until I then cast a Baneslayer Angel and swing at you with a pseudo Baneslayer Angel that you decided you weren't going to kill. Right. Yeah, and that, see, that's like, I think it might be too much of a dream scenario, but um, I, I thought it seemed like a neat idea. Um, no, I think that if you were... I would think if you're looking at building a mythic, uh, like a Vengevine mythic sort of build, then, mm-hmm. it, you know, without the Rafik portion of it, which I know provides a huge amount of explosiveness, but just seems like Renegade Doppelganger plus Legendary Creatures equals Sad Panda. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, um, but if you were looking to build something like that, I agree with you, because I think at that point in time, you potentially get a huge return 
on the value of the NAN investment yeah. for the Renegade doppelganger. So I would agree with you. I think that in that scenario where you're looking to play huge dudes anyway, you know, because Mythic curves out so well, um, and potentially with the Vengevine piece, I think you're right. I think there's huge synergy there. Yeah, it just seems like, in a way, Doppelganger is like a mini Rafik in a strange way. Like, you know, even though, uh, you know, a lot of times with Mythic or playing against Mythic, just the turn he plays Rafik, like I, I, Joe's killed me with games, you know, with like something like uh, I'd be at six and he'd just drop Rafik and attack me with a Lotus Cobra and I'm dead. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, wow, I thought I was safe, but I'm not. <laughs> So, uh, and Doppelganger kind of provides the same sort of thing where he's, uh, you know, he's sitting there, he seems like kind of not all that big of a deal, but, um, you know, he becomes, whatever you end up playing has kind of pseudo haste. And, um, and, and that's another thing is you can technically play, um, Doppelganger and then Avengevine and now the Doppelganger's Avengevine anyway, whether you've played, whether you have a Vengevine in the graveyard anyway, now you're still swinging with two, four, three haste guys. Um, So it it just seems like it's got some interesting uh, possibilities. That it does. But it's a card that I think, I think I'm almost more, um, I think it's more, having more of an impact on me because of how much I shrugged it off initially. So I think it's just way better than I thought doesn't necessarily mean it's good, but it's still way better than I thought, because I thought it was terrible. And I believe in the power of the Vengevine now. I know I've been, like, overrated, 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 etc., but man. So I, I gotta ask you guys a question. Yeah. Realms Uncharted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, like, is it really everything? Is it all that in a bag of chips, or what? Well, at the price it's going for right now, which is, what, like, five-ish? Something like, Six, you, yeah, you, something you, like you can get them for maybe even four because I think I, I think you know if you search around a little bit, I think they're worth that because I at least yeah I mean I think they're definitely worth that at least uh, because of their versatility in other formats. In this format, I mean they're just incredible mana fixing and they're great with Knight of the Reliquary. Right. Um. I I I, I mean I personally like the idea of like search like you know if I'm playing this deck, um I would like to if I could find room for them but I can't. I would love to like to, I don't have realms in this deck. I had it in the shortlist but it wound up getting cut. Um, there's needed more threats. Although wall, three wall of omens on the board right now and I'm talking about needing more threats. Um, <laughs> yeah we're sitting here playing a game while we're talking. But. There, there are four uh, wall I, of omens out between the two of us. Um, <laughs> so I you know is, is that I mean, everybody is playing that card. There's no question. If it's, a, you know, it's like, are you playing red? Yeah. Uh, bolt. Um, you know, I think it's like, are you playing white? Yeah. Wall of Omens. Yeah, pretty much. Just, Every deck. It seems so versatile, but the question is, is you know, do you play it or do you play around it, right, when you're when you're building in white? I mean, yeah, granted, it's, it's a ridiculous card, but I just wonder if at some point it's going to become oversaturated and it's just going to clog up. Are we going to see lower value in our day of judgments i mean are you, are you just naturally going to see those dropping off in in quantities in deck lists you yeah, know you I... play four and a four and two coups you go down to one coup or two martial coups in two days i don't know i mean like 
Yeah, and you're right about the plan, because like, I feel the same way about summoning trap polymorph. It's like, do I play that, or do I play against that? You know what I mean? Because, like, I expect, and if you didn't look, did you look at my sideboard? Mm-hmm. I've chose play against that. Yeah. Because I've got three Tajuru preservers in my sideboard. Um, <laughs> you know? <laughs> because, uh, yeah, and four o- Oblivion Rings. Because I'm figuring, like, somebody gets a damn, uh, like, I'm figuring if somebody's going all-in summoning trap style, they're, or summoning trap or polymorph, they're not going to have many ants, like, many creature removal spells, because they're going to ride the back of their, um, of their, uh, annihilator triggers the whole way. So I figure, you know, Tajuru Preserver is a good option against those decks. I haven't put that into practice yet, but, um... It, I agree with you. I feel like Lidvala is also going to be valid, too. I think that if you're looking at, you know, coming up against a Summoning Trap deck, then, you know, I see I see huge value out of Lidvala, too, because she shuts off all the mana dorks that you've spent all that time getting in, except for, obviously, Cobra. But, um, you know, and then as well as that, you've got Preserver next to it. it, it that shuts down, or sorry, uh, Lidvala also shuts down all the spawn generation, right? All the spawn tokens can't sacrifice anymore. That's true, yeah. So I think that the two of them together, uh, in, if you've got access to the colors, are a more than effective way to just stuff Eldrazi Ramp and the uh, Summoning Trap Annihilator in you know, two neat little packages. Yeah, uh, the more I think about it, the more I like Linvala. And like, not that I thought it was bad before, but like, if yeah, I mean, like, I kind of want to run it in this deck, because she's legendary. She would not stop my own activated abilities, and if somebody was running her against me, I could preempt them by running my own out there, right? And force them to either trade with them, which keeps my dudes doing their thing, or to uh, deal with her, you know, in another way. Like, yeah, yeah, she's an interesting card. I, I mean, and the art is fantastic on it, so it's just another incentive for me to want to play it. <laughs> like, look how good it looks. I don't care what it says in the text box. So, I, listen, guys, I want to take a second, and if you don't mind, I want to, uh, I, I've been brewing this concoction all friggin' week. Okay, cool, cool. Um, and, I, and I need some perspective. It, it seems like it's going to be good, but again, I almost built this on the back of, um, you know, the format's going to slow, especially with blue-white, and if Wall of Omens is the standard two-drop instead of something huge to beat my face with, I think this is probably going to be okay. So let me know what you think. It's my mono black crypt concoction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, built on the premise of um, present so many threats and control, you know, parity one for one, that the, the opponent really just has no chance but to lose to something. Um, so I'm looking at, you know, a right... Straight up, three eye Mugen, four Eldrazi Temple. I feel like playing four eyes is too much. I understand we want to guarantee we get them, but you only need one. Right. Well, I think that, I mean, I even think three might be too much, but I don't know. I mean, if you don't have any way to really search them up, then maybe three is appropriate. Yeah. Uh, four Temples, four Crypts, and uh, 15 Swamps. So I'm looking at 26 land out the gate. Um, you look at the bottom of the curve, we've got the cycling guys, four monsters caravid, four architects of will, uh, which you'll never cast otherwise, so that's ex- just what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm almost wondering if maybe they could become uh, the, the hell is it called, the 3-3 three, three cycling 2 on Earth 2 oh, uh, from 
Shit, I can't remember the name either. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, anyway, so you're looking at you're looking at blood gaps for them uh, because they're good to continue to elicit combat. You combine that with the four pawns of Ulamog. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, seems good with blood gaps. Mm. Yeah. Um, keep dying. Fleshbag Marauders as uh, removal and board control at three of. Uh, I really like the idea of running the Thought Gorgers and the Abyssal Persecutors at the four slot. So the Thought Gorger seems like it's a really good way to dump a whole bunch of black guys in the graveyard to make Crypt Run uh, without, and since the Thought Gorger triggers leave play instead of goes to graveyard, uh, you're almost guaranteed to get that card investment back, unless, of course, you know, somebody decides they're going to steal it with mind control and then beat your face with it, and that <laughs> makes me you know, sad a little bit. Um, Persecutor, I just, because I just love it, people play so badly against him, and I mean, it's up to you. I'm going to smash you and put you at negative life, or you're going to kill it and waste a removal spell. I don't care. Um, Jorana, Calastria, Blood Chief is retarded in a deck that can generate copious amounts of mana. Seems that way. Yeah. So, I mean, especially, I, I mean, especially I a deck that's relying on filling the graveyard with black creatures. You know what I mean? Like, because, I mean, like, you, you, maybe, like, in a deck that wasn't so dependent on that, you you might run a removal spell there. You know what I mean? Like, you might run some sort of removal spell there, but since it's a removal spell on legs, it's one more piece of the puzzle as far as, like, getting the crypt live, you know? Yeah, and, and only two of, right? And I mean, in a worst-case pinch, she's a good removal for your Persecutor, too, right? Because there's nothing like sucking all the life out of your Persecutor. And oh, yeah. Hmm. That's a good point. So that's good, too. Yeah. Um, and then you're looking at, uh, I've got two Aljazi Monuments and three All is Dust. Um, I really like uh, the Pawn of Ulamog has been outstanding. Absolutely. So Joe just uh, Joe just tapped five mana on his turn and showed me a deprive by accident, and then put it back and showed me a Baneslayer angel. Gee, I wonder. I and mean, he's got and he's got two islands untapped. Hmm. I did that on purpose. Telegraph. Now he's scared. Telegraphed much. Um, that's hilarious. Um, okay. Um, your turn. So yeah. You've got a Baneslayer out. Let's see. <laughs> anyway, the, the, main, the other main finisher after Drown, of course, is the two spawn sires of Ulamog, right? Right. So I'm only running two. Um, I figure that with the eye, inevitably, if I don't actually draw it, I find that I do cycle through a lot of cards with the deck, um, just because of the cyclers and the thought gorgers are pretty good. Um, but, I mean, the Eldrazi Monument, obviously, with all of the crazy, there's a, a crap load of tokens that get generated, and if the spawn sire gets online, it's making it a, a metric load two and <laughs> yeah. you're up against the Eldrazi monument so that's you always got fuel for it and all this dust as backup seems pretty good I know that the only thing that really worries me obviously is you know if spreading seas becomes more relevant or tectonic edges which make me angry so there's four grim discoveries in the uh, sideboard yeah um, I love tectonic against. edge I love it yeah, I when I'm playing it anyway <laughs> yeah. so I've got three of those on the board as well because obviously I've got no real constructive way to handle manlands, but um, and then the sideboard of course is, you know, three Emrakul, one Kozilek, and one Ulamog, right? Resolve the spawn sire and it's game over. Um, two Soren Markovs in the sideboard just for craps and giggles, because again, if you're generating a crap load of mana, tending somebody seems good. Uh, and for 
kicks and giggles, I've got a pestilent semen in there too because he's an absolute brick house as well. That's hilarious. Yeah, but, that's uh, awesome. It's rough. It's really rough. But you know, I think that uh, it could be entertaining too. It's it's almost all creatures. So whenever if it's not land, it's a creature that's in the graveyard. Yeah, it sounds really like kind of neat. Have Have you gotten a chance to actually play with it yet? I've been testing it on uh, on workstation. Cool. Against uh, a couple different uh, couple different decks, and it's it's pretty good. I mean, it's you know the flesh bags trade really well. The blood gas keep pressure on. The palm logs on board really, I think, are the glue. If people bolt those, then you know the whole thing slows down. But you know it curves out fairly aggressively, and it plays you know a, a more than reasonable quantity of threats um, in what seems to be like an unending stream because it's all dudes. Does um. Have you ever managed to get the Spawn Sire's ultimate off? Uh, I actually once, because again, it got to the point where they were just out of removal. Like every other time I've won with Drana or Abyssal Persecutor or something like that. Right. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's just a good game at that point. I mean, you know, maybe I'm just taking the, uh, the speed of the game for granted here at this point. It sounds kind of neat. Like, I just can't imagine seeing it all happen, but it sounds like you're on the right track with something, you know, like, you know, it sounds like it's got some good synergies in there. Yeah. Uh, well, well, we'll see. I'm going to try a whole bunch of stuff and see what, it, see what sticks. I think, you know, understanding the big elephants in the room being obviously Jun, blue-white control, and, and, you know, potentially some green-white Arnea-style builds with, with Vengevine. And once we can get, uh, once we can get through those, you know, then, then you start to kind of think, okay, so I understand how these are going to work and what all the potentials are, so what's left? And I think that, you know, I, I believe that there's a way to break the format with the red-headed stepchild. I, I just think there is. There's so much opportunity right now. The Eldrazi ramp decks are, uh, we've yet to see one. It seems like everyone who's playing one, they either, you know, they're either afraid to share the tech right. or it just sucks right now. And I, I don't know which it is, but Awakening Zone seems ridiculous. Yeah, that's a card that I need to get some of just in case. Like I don't want to be I don't want to miss the boat on that one. But yeah, I think with the um with the ramp decks like it, there's got to be something available and and they're going to show up in some number whether they end up getting you know hated out of the format or you know basically people realize that maybe they're not as good. You know, if if they if they're the real deal then then they're going to be there. And we're going to have to figure out how to beat them but you know if not i think they're still going to be around for i would say the next month at least until people realize that maybe they're not as good but it, it, i think there's something there with the eldrazi um w- w- just ramps like ramp deck oh yeah that kind of thing um i mean there's it, it, i feel like rise of the eldrazi has given us so many options like even basically the only deck that doesn't really like, to me, it doesn't feel like it got that many options with Jund, which is, like, thank God. I mean, they did get some options, but, I mean, what, are they going to play Flame Slash instead of Lightning Bolt? Are they going to spl- uh, play Sark in the Mad, maybe? Um, you know, th- there's a couple options with Jund, but it seems to me that they're, they've got the fewest options, or the, the fewest uh, cards from Rise of the Eldrazi. See, I feel, you see, and I don't necessarily agree with you. I think that if, if you consider Jund from its current position, then yeah, you're right. Because as far as I see Jund, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the majority of the build seem to be red-green with the splash for black. Okay. For Pulse and 
terminate and stuff like that. And that's sort of how it feels right now. Obviously, out of the sideboard, you've got, you know, you, well, you've got Leech, you've got Deathmark, you've got all that sort of stuff as well, right? But it just feels like it's more more red-green than anything else, but the black, obviously, is you know seems to be the glue that makes it good. I think that if you can get away, you know, and get it more focused maybe towards the red-black end mm-hmm. with the splash green, I think that if you consider it from there, there's plenty of options that they got. I mean, consuming vapors, I think... You know, if the if the format is going to more of a um, more of a big creature, you know, I mean, I, I looked at the blue white control and you go, okay, so I'm gonna now play my creature base as Wall of Omens, Bane Slayer Angel, maybe Iona, you know, whatever you want to do, right? But for the most part, if you replace Bolt with Flame Slash, keep playing um, keep playing Blightning, but then you add Consuming Vapors over Bit Blast. Mm-hmm. to get that sort of return. You know? Yeah. You, you look at potentially cards like Persecutor, you know, which I haven't really found at home, but I should. Um, you, you could find yourself in a really different position. I, I just think that John's face can change so quickly. You know, the El- people are playing Eldrazi Monument and John, like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Seems, seems to be good. I mean, John's big weakness is, oh, look at all you dudes clogging up the ground. Here's my flyer. Smash your face. You know, and yeah. I think that uh, I think if you can make that adjustment, if John can make that that move, then we may see a whole different face to this horrible enemy. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Um, but I I think it's Rise of the Eldrazi seems to at least give us a lot to uh, that kind of shakes things up, and and I think that's impressive. You know, I think it's really neat. Yeah, where where World Wake definitely did. Nuts. Well, I mean, World like, Wake, I think, basically gave us blue-white control. That's what... True. I, and, and Manlands. And I think Manlands, that, that's what gave us Mythic, too. True. So, um, it, it didn't do nothing, but I feel like it did... But it didn't... It it, it was it, a small set, too. But I, but, I, but, I, but what I'm saying is, like, like Jun just kind of shrugged at, at, the, uh, at the changes. I mean, it, it definitely um, felt some pressure from Mythic, but doesn't mean that it can't beat Mythic, so I don't know. It seems like it, it seems like Rise of the Eldrazi has made this next, you know, short period here, standard season, more like Legacy than anything else. You know, where it doesn't matter, you know, one week, one deck will win, and then the next week it won't be. You know, it almost feels like the next couple months are going to be just like that. Okay. Yeah. So, talk to me about Gideon, boys. I mean, it sounds like, Joe, you're kind of running Mythic. And it sounds like, Joe, you're obviously in your blue-white control day. Yeah. Um, life, rather. Yeah. So I guess the question is, Gideon, from both ends of the spectrum, I mean, I, I assume that, um, you know, in Mythic, its role would be more of a removal slash, um, you know, opening to create the Alpha Strike. Yeah. And obviously its control implications are fairly clear. So talk to me about where you guys, you know, see him as, Moving forward, are you gonna, I, are we going to see him everywhere? Well, is he going to be worth playing lots of to I, try to, you know, or where are we at? I see him in an orange sleeve right now in my mythic deck. Um, <laughs> I uh, I've got two of them in there right now because I only own two. I would maybe run more, but we're not sure if there if it's necessary to have more than two. Um, but I don't know. What do you think? Well, Joe's actually had more experience playing him than I have. I have. Not. I haven't had much experience playing him. I've had experience having him countered. 
Well, you, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's still more than me. I haven't even played with them yet because uh, I didn't get mine in the mail yet, and I'm kind of like, I can't stand proxying. Unless I really want to play with a card, I won't proxy it. And I, and I do really want to play with Gideon, but basically I made the changes to my deck without Gideon at the moment. Um, and Joe's been playing him, obviously, but uh, and I've been just mainly making sure that I counter him <laughs> before... Uh, before he has any sort of impact. Like, you're right. Did I counter him every time you played him? I don't remember you doing anything with him. I think every single time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I just... Because actually what I've found so far with the deck, the version... Uh, with the adjustments I've made to it today, which are uh, basically replacing Treasure Hunt with Sea Beyond. Which I called on the podcast. I said, I think that Sea <laughs> Beyond's going to go... Uh, in place of treasure hunt and blue white control, and Joe said, "That's a terrible idea." See beyond sucks. What I said, you said something like that. You said, "I said I." Do- you said treasure hunt always gives you a bunch of lands, and it's like that sucks. And I was saying I like drawing a bunch of lands. I don't have a problem with treasure hunt, and I felt like see beyond wasn't. You know, in theory, it didn't seem like it was giving me any more. It's giving me one card. It shows me two cards deep. I felt like Treasure Hunt would be better. But when I played with Sea Beyond in Limited, I liked it way better than I thought. Same with Deprive. I agree. I agree. Yeah, so, like, it, it was just better than I thought when I actually played with it. So, uh, and, then, and then, of course, you read Chapin's article today, I guess. Mm-hmm. Oh. Or, or you did? You said you saw the mono red deck, so I assume you read his. No, article. no, I read it. I read okay. it. Yeah, yeah. So, like, basically, I made a lot of the changes he suggested, but I don't have the Gideon, so I'm running Bane Slayers instead of Gideon's. Um, so so you're got, running the four complement. Yeah, I've got all four Bane Slayers, and um, and I I didn't. I'm not playing with Alst. I'm playing with two Path to Exiles because I like the idea of being able to path my own walls if I want to ramp. Um, so, you know, and, and Alst to me like. I, th- I can see its value when I was playing it in Limited, but, uh, you know, it being a sorcery, I just can't see how it compares to Path to Exile in Standard. Like, I, I, I mean, just I just want Troll Player. Think, he wants instant I, I speed, everything. Is was, if we want to get into the Oust thing, I mean, we can get into it afterwards if you want. But, I, you know, I think Oust is better than Path to Exile in certain deck lists. I think in a in an instant base deck where you need that immediate removal, like it's blue white control, then path clearly becomes superior. Um, but if you're looking at a deck like I like consider if you if you had two two or three paths, for example, go in your mythic deck, I would suggest Alist. Yeah, and, and that makes more sense. I agree with that because you're gonna want to clear the way on your turn for attacks with Alist. So yeah, I can and see. You don't want to ramp the opponent because you're so critically hooked into tempo. Right. So, I, yeah, I mean, and that makes sense. I, I'm always thinking of everything from the perspective of blue-white, so it's hard for me to, uh, well, it's, it's just, I naturally do that, so I'm naturally thinking about whatever deck I'm playing, so right now it's blue-white that I'm, you know, considering everything for, and I, you know, as much as Alst looks really neat, you know, I don't want to give them a land, and, uh, you know, and, and I do want them to have to redraw the same creature again and have to replay it. Uh, like, I can see how that's really powerful, but at the same time, the threats that I'm most worried about are ones that I can't 
um, you know, are things like Vengevine, you know, the, the ones that come out of nowhere, and I need to deal with them now, not next, not my next turn. And, you know? and, and, I mean, Path gets rid of it permanently, you know what I mean? Right, like, that, that's true, too. In a, in a world with Vengevine and, uh, and things like that, that come back from the graveyard, I want to be able to Path it, not just put it on top, you know, second from the top. Yeah. <sighs> and then just the versatility of being able to Path my own Wall of Omens, like, you know, you, you attack me, and I'd block with the wall and then just path it if it was going to die anyway. And now I've just ramped my mana. So, like, you know, that I think is... I want to have that option. I like that a lot. So, so to me, I think path is better than oust in this particular deck. It's got better synergies. And, and, and that path, path the wall of omens thing also helps out... Uh, helps compensate for deprive. Where you're, you know, yeah. bouncing a land. So, like... Yeah, Deprive actually was better than I expected um, at the pre-release. Did you record that, too? What's that? Did you record that? Like, did, did, Joe, did you record those words? Because it's really funny, because all I keep remembering is this article about how badly you slammed the crap out of this card. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm recording right now, and I, I'm going to say I liked it. And, you know, and that was kind of what I said in that blog post, too, was that it just seemed really scary, and I didn't think it would work, but... And now, actually playing with it in blue-white control, I like it even better than I did at the pre-release because being able to just leave two mana up really feels a lot better to me than having to leave three mana up. It's just really yeah. making a difference, and I, I guess that's why we have to play with the cards. You know, it's that's why we play the game. You know, it's not all theory. So, um, and when I saw Deprive, I mean. To be totally honest, I was like, this is awesome, but I'm too scared to play it. Like, it seems too risky. That was yeah. really what I thought. And I didn't really hate it. I just was a, I think I just thought it was too risky. But now having played it, it really doesn't seem that bad at all. Because if in the early game it was a cancel, I probably wouldn't be playing it then either. Because I might only have yeah. two mana up or something. So it, it's really not like any more of a dead card in in the early game uh, than cancel is. So it's, it's, and then later it really helps out to, uh, to be able to play something for two mana, you know, to, to just leave two mana up to like I just did. I played a Baneslayer and had two islands up. That's, that was all I had. So, you know, and I bounced his Baneslayer with Jace. So it was kind of like, you know, uh, I wouldn't have been able to do that because otherwise I would have just expected him to replay his Baneslayer and not have anything to counter with. Right. So, I'm really liking it, and, um... So, how do we feel about, uh, okay, so the blue-white mirror, right? You've got tap-out versus, uh, versus the counter-base. Right, I like, classic. Right now, I think the counter-base is probably stronger, or some measure of, of hybrid that's got more than just, you know, three counterspells in it, sort of yeah. scenario. Um, but I, I gotta ask, so, in the mirror, in a sideboard scenario... How do we feel about the tech of lay bare? If you're in, you know, you got to look at it from the perspective of the control mirror. Wouldn't it be great to know what your opponent has in their hand? That's a really good point. I think, uh, you know, and, and in a control mirror, you're more likely to have that extra mana. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to play four... Information is ammunition, right? Yeah, exactly. So what I was thinking, instead of lay bare, I'm just going to play telepathy. Seriously? Oh, I love that card. <laughs> I, I keep seeing that card and going, 
I want to play this so bad. I would love to. It's like, it's a shoe of dynamite at that point, right? Because you're like, what am I going to counter? What have you got over there again? Right. So bad. <laughs> I just feel like it, it seems like something you just... I, I honestly considered putting it into my deck uh, before in place of uh, Celestial Purge. Because I was just like, just as a one-of, just as like this one random thing that suddenly somebody's going to be like, okay, you tap a blue for what? Telepathy? What the hell is that? Oh my god. <laughs> I just think it would be fantastic. Because it sucks as a as a uh, multiple, you know. If you, if you have more than one, it's just a dead card, but... God, I'm just, I'm, I've am i been in the tank for like ten minutes here trying to think of like what card I want to put in this deck. Yeah, see, so we, we started off, you know, this little playtest session with me scooping two games in a row because he had the most explosive draws. I mean, and I don't know if it's... Uh, I don't know if it was a combination of explosive draws and just it's a good deck. I mean, I'm sure that's that's what it is too. I don't want to blame it all on he drew well, so I that's why I would have never won. But um, it was like turn one noble hierarch, turn two like lotus cobra into knight of the reliquary somehow. Like I don't even know what you were doing. You weird things like that. I, I can't remember if. Uh, but it was like then he had tectonic edges and he was keeping me off wrath. Uh, Day of Judgment. So it was, uh, I, I felt like, you know, I had no way of winning. It was like turn four and he was swinging and basically getting ready to kill me. And a Vengevine that I was throwing in the air with Elspeth. Oh yeah, that was another one. So it was, I was just like, wow, this, what did I do to my deck? That's what I, that's what I was saying. But uh, when he doesn't get the most explosive draws, it seems like, you know, it seems like I can do okay. I find that in the mythic matchup, if you you either have the wrath or you don't, man. Yeah. And honestly, that's what it comes down to. You either have it or you don't. And if you do, it's a game. And if you don't, pick it up. Yeah, it, it seemed like that way in those cases. And I think uh, in this particular case, I had the wrath, and I think he, um, I think he tectonic edged something. And then I still thought I had the, I still had four lands, but I realized it was not white like i didn't have uh two white and i was just like oh scoop it up like i don't sucks. have a good bar to determine how good wall of omens is yet like i haven't yeah and i don't know if wall of omens belongs in your deck as much as it belongs in something more controlling your deck is very your deck should be more aggressive and you could replace those walls with the core sky fisher and now you've got that synergy with vengevine now you're talking yeah yeah so i mean early you you play Core Sky Fisher on turn two or, or whatever early where you can bounce one of your lands and replay it to get mana out of Lotus Cobra. Uh, landfall. Or, you know, whatever. Bounce a land. If your curve looks like it only goes up to five, so... Why and do I have uh, you've got birds? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that's what curve. I'm thinking right now. Like, my curve curves out at five and I've got, like, four Hierarchs, four Birds of Paradise... Four Lotus Cobras. I'm like, hmm, do I really need that many uh, accelerators? Probably um, not. No, it doesn't seem like it. Um, so, yeah, I would almost... Actually, I, I really like that idea. I think the score, the, the Skyfishing Vengevine packet, I think, fits far better in Mythic than... Yeah, yeah. No, I like that a lot, too. I'm, I'm almost thinking of going Skyfisher, Skyfisher, Skyfisher. So three of the walls become Skyfisher. Stoneforge oh. Mystic, Stoneforge Mystic Basilisk Collar, or something like that. Oh, right? I see what you're saying, just to have... 
uh, just to be able to play Basilisk Collar. You could do something like that, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, just, I mean, why the hell not? Right. Um, because I don't have uh, Rock's War Monk anymore. So, like, that would be a source of... of a little bit of life gain. A little yeah. bit of life gain, which is basically what the walls were. You know what I mean? Like, so you, I'm sorry, you, so you shaved blue all together. I took blue out, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, so no no Rafik, no Finest Hour. Yep. I'm going with Elspeth all the way on this one. Like, and, and Gideon um, also allows me for a better alpha strike. Um, so I mean, because that, that could—that's a possibility. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I don't see why that would be too bad. I still like Lotus Cobra. I don't well, know. Well, Skyfisher with Cobra is good synergy too. That's what I was saying. Yeah, yeah you're returning a land yeah. and replaying it, you end up getting that uh, that mana back. Especially when you you. <clears throat> Tap two, return one of the tapped lands, replay it, and now you've got two mana because you've got your yeah exactly your untapped land and and if you have Lotus Cobra, so it's like you're playing it for free, or Stoneforge Mystic, right? Well, so I, what I'm are just... you playing for removal then, Joe? And uh, Gideon, two Gideons. That's it. <laughs> that's it. I mean, what what did uh, what did the original Mythic list run for removal? You know what I mean? Nothing. Yeah, yeah it no, wasn't. Fair enough, fair enough. I actually have two more removal spells in this deck than that deck had. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I think Gideon fits in the deck well too. So says the creator. So I listen. Yeah. <laughs> um. Hmm. So yeah, that's uh, those are some ideas. Yeah. So have you caught uh, you playing Dauntless Escorts in the sideboard? Maybe. No, I don't like Dauntless Escort. Um. I actually sold my Dauntless Escorts. That's why you don't like it. <laughs> he doesn't like Chapin's Mono Red list either because he sold his Goblin uh, Guides. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but, uh... I like, I like Gideon more. Yeah, well, fair enough. I like Gideon more, too. Um, and, you know, we're still looking for a home for all his dust. Um, we thought it was blue-white. I don't think it goes in blue-white really at all. Well, well, that's kind of what we were saying at first when yeah. we were talking about it, mm -hmm. and then it was like, oh, but then I lose my Jays. Right, well, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, I think all his dust almost belongs in a, like some sort of mono-black control deck. I mean, it, it could just go in anything, really, if you don't have a better option. And right. for me, blue-white control well, has Day of Judgment. The two options, I think, for all the dust are mono-green and mono-black. Mono green Eldrazi ramp slash summoning trap, and then you're looking potentially also mono black control. I think those are the two that are going to benefit greatest from that card. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, and the obvious reason for that is because they don't have access to any better sweepers, really. I, because to me, with, uh, with blue white control, I've got Day of Judgment, and creatures are what I'm, you know, mostly concerned with getting rid of. I mean, of course, I, I need to get rid of planeswalkers, too. Yeah, exactly. So, like, that's... I need to focus if you, on... If you know your removal suite is isolated, then you know that your counter spells, the, the necessity for them becomes narrower. Exactly. So, and, and that's what was just happening, actually, just in this last game. I mean, I didn't... Joe was playing Knight of the Reliquaries and, and Baneslayers, and I was letting them resolve, but it was Gideon or Elspeth that I wanted to counter. Um, you know, because I had... He can play Baneslayer as much as he wants, but I'm going to have a couple turns of bouncing it with Jace, which is what I just did. It was like, mm -hmm. Baneslayer, okay, bounce it. Baneslayer, okay, bounce it. <laughs> Baneslayer, okay, bounce it. You know, three turns of that, and then, you know, it gives me just more time to be swinging with my own Baneslayer or something, so. I figure that since I draw Sajiri Step every frickin' game... <laughs> You're just going to cut it out of the deck? No, uh, no, no, it's better now with Skyfisher. That's true. 
God yeah. damn you. <laughs> I and I got, and I got Ugh, I remember, I thought that too. But I hate Sajiri's step because it's like, oh, I'll just put it in as a one-of. I can totally search it up in that other reliquary and use it to do some cucumber tricks. And then, like, every single game, it's either in my opening hand or in my first three draws. And I'm like, well, great. If this was a basic land, I could play it and then tap out for Night of the Reliquary. Or I can play it tapped and give something protection from nothing at, at sorcery <laughs> speed. And it just, like, makes me so mad. But anyway, god. Ugh. Piss me it's off. funny. Piss me off, man. So uh, let's just kind of do a like just a brief overview. So what do we think are going to be the the best decks in standard? I mean, like this is all speculation, obviously at this point. But like, what do you think the metagame might be? Like, what have we seen? Like, what lists has anyone seen going around? And like, which ones? I mean, because like everyone's throwing their own lists up. Mm-hmm. But which ones are we to be taking seriously at this point? Um, do we lose any decks? We obviously are going to gain something. I don't just see. That's a good question. I wonder what happens to Eldrazi Green. They got a lot of stuff, but I feel like people are so distracted with wanting to play other things, it seems like Eldrazi Green and Vampires are almost like, well, those are old decks, you know? Like, nobody wants to play those. We all want to play our new cool decks. If I want to play Eldrazi Green, I'm going to ramp to Eldrazi, not uh, not play Nissa's Chosen and, and, you know, this elf kind of strategy. Although, they got Jiraga Tr- Tree Speaker, which I think is makes that deck ridiculous just by itself. Yeah. Well, if, if we... Yeah, okay. So, I think... We really have to make sure we see the distinction here, I think, between what's going to be solid and block and what's going to be solid and standard. Because, you know, I think that vampires, although they're a, a crazy boatload of fun to play, um, you know, and they always, you know, give grief to, you know, the wrong top deck fluid control. Um, I think that uh, it's really, I don't think we're going to see it at Grand Prix DC half as prevalently as, as we have in the past. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's going to be a top, you know, two block player. Yeah. Uh, because of its natural inclination with a good matchup against blue-white control, just with blood gas and things like that. And I think the interesting... Sludge, of course, makes me angry. I think the interesting <laughs> thing with that in block is that, um, like, it loses Nocturnus, but it gains the better Nocturnus, uh, Eldrazi Monument, which I've already roundly decided to play over Nocturnus and Vampires anyway. Like, I think that Nocturnus is, I mean, uh, I mean, it's it's good, but I think it's terrible. I hate <laughs> it. I think it's an awful card. Um, I mean, I don't fault anyone for playing it because it's naturally synergistic with the deck, but in those situations where you need to flip over a damn black card you're flipping over a swamp. And it's like, I don't know. I'm like, why don't you just run the Eldrazi Monument? You already have Bloodgast. Like, you just have the engine to to fuel the Unlimited Temple. It's the same as, it's a one-card combo, unlike Nissa's chosen Nissa Ravain. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I see what you mean. Like, you need, you need both of those to really make that uh, whole engine effective. Well, not necessarily. I mean, I, I see what you're saying, but I think with... 
with Eldrazi Green, there was Ant Queen, and there's Master of the Wild Hunt, and okay. there's Wolfbriar Elemental that all right, right. offer you, you know. There are multiple options for that, it's true. But, like, with... I mean, with, with vampires, I'm pretty sure that, like, I mean, you see, you know, you got Bloodgast to cycle every turn. You've got Grim Discovery to get lands back um, to keep playing them. And, and if also, you know, if you don't have the Bloodgast one turn, you have to sacrifice something else, like Gatekeeper Malakir. Mm-hmm. You've got Grim Discovery to get Gatekeeper back. You know, like. All the while, trigger, all the while running your Highborn triggers, of course. Right, yeah. exactly. Right, yeah, with Highborn, it all, it all, that all works out really nice. I just feel like Vampire Nocturnus is like the overused, overrated, uh, f- like flagship of the deck. You know what I mean? Like I don't believe that it's the the thing that should be making. I think if people weren't so automatic include on Vampire Nocturnus, vampires would be even a stronger contender than it is. It, it costs what three black and one? Yeah, I thought. I mean, it is a different spot on the curve than Monument. True and. I guess the the thing. What is it? It's a three two itself. What is it? Three three. A three three. Okay. Right. It would get plus two plus one if you flip something over, but it's a three three on the ground otherwise. Right. I'm just trying. Yeah, to I think. think. I, I think that part of the thing that makes uh, the Nocturna so powerful is the fact that it puts all the vampires in the air, and the monument does that just fine, and it makes them indestructible. So who mm-hmm. cares if they're beating up against Bane Slayer or whatever? Right. I feel like the indestructible is um, a little more relevant than the than the two the extra power, you know what I mean, like... Yeah, yeah I agree. I agree. But, anyways, I, I think that, you know, Eldrazi Green is, is there. I think that there are going to be people that are going to want to, you know, Jamie Wayfield comes to mind, Yeah. Um, that are going to want to play this format. You know, you're going to want to play Eldrazi Green, and you're right, I think that the formula is elves on the back of, you know, Tree Speaker, um, you know, Lanoir elves, and, and all of you know, the, the Arch Druid and such, and, you know, just draw a bunch of cards and, and get there. I think Momentous Fall is going to be a big card. Um, you know, they could be playing Summoning Trap and Ramp. Growth Spurt is ridiculous. They've got those two Eldrazi cards as well, if they wanted to go that way, that produce tokens. I mean, if you're looking at, you know, feeding the monument, there's a ton of Eldrazi j- drone creators. That's true, yeah. Green. Right, so I think I think it, it does have some really really uh, good potential there. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether it's going to be you know tier one, but was it a tier yeah. two to tier three deck right now? It may shoot up to tier one point five. You never know. That's true. It it does seem like it gets a whole lot of other options. Again, it's like here's Eldrazi Green, and here's all these cards that could potentially go in there and make it a good deck, and you could have multiple versions of Eldrazi Green. You can make um, so much mana. Like, just think about, like... Well, I like the, the turn one Tree Speaker, turn two, uh, level up Tree Speaker, play Everflowing Chalice, turn three, Summoning Trap. You know, like, that seems kind of ridiculous, you know, depending on what kind of creature you have. But, I mean, you've got six mana on turn three... Uh, you know what? I also like you know the other thing I've been thinking about with it, but since we're talking about summoning trap, is um, even in, I mean, and this can go in like a multicolored deck or whatever. You can go turn one hierarch, turn two growth spasm, turn three summoning trap. Okay. See yeah. what I'm saying? Because you search up the land, right? You get the token, 
and then the turn three you have the token and five right. land or so that's, four lands and the hierarch. That's an option too, and you can play all those in the same deck: four hierarchs, four tree speaker, four chalice, four growth spasm, and you've got any number. You've got two different routes to get six mana on turn three. Mm-hmm. It just seems like there's so much, so much available for uh, for Eldrazi Green alone. You know, to ramp, and uh, I don't, I don't know. It just seems like we've got. Got so many ramp options, it's kind of ridiculous. And that's just it, right? Do you go the runabouts where you might actually still get some decent dudes left on the ground, or do you go the route of Eldrazi spawn and just you know vomit a bunch of dudes onto the table and then sack them all for a huge fatty? I mean, it's it's totally up to you, right? But I, you know, and and how you build around that is is what's going to differentiate one from the next. But you know, ultimately, they're both looking to either summoning traps, spit out a huge guy, or play Eldrazi Monument and beat your face. Like, you know, this this is the state that we live in with Mono Green. I think. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how it all turns out. But I I definitely think it's going to at least be one point five, and I think we're definitely going to see it. I I would be surprised to hell if you didn't see something backbreakingly different from uh, Conley Woods in Washington. Kinda, he's kind of gone on to say that whatever I play will be ridiculous and it will be not seen before. I mean, now that Chapin's posted that mono red list, I think we're going to start seeing that at least. See, I think a lot of this is going to be um, a matter of for the next like month, what are we going to see? You know, because after the next month, we're going to kind of, things are going to clean themselves up in a way like, you know, we're going to start seeing what actually floats to the top, I guess is what I mean. Um, so, I think the, uh, I, th- I think, you know, Mono Red is one that's going to end up showing up at least until either it proves itself or it doesn't. Um, and it's kind of interesting because I think everybody was kind of, um, you know, poo-pooing on Mono Red because of, Wall of Omens, you know, showing up, it's kind of like, well, Mono Red seems terrible now because Wall of Omens just blocks everything, but... That's funny, I, I thought that happened with the uh, Core Firewalker. Yeah, exactly, it's a good point. <laughs> good point. So yeah, I mean, it, it's it's interesting to, to think, you know, there's even more strategies against Mono Red, but uh, I, I kind of want to see what happens, it seems kind of cool. So okay, so if, if that's the case, we've talked about um, we've talked about mono red and, and some of the, the mono fringe offerings. I think mono black control. You're going to see somebody trying to play. Um, there's more than enough tools to do so at its disposal. Whether they're playing crypt or not, I think that uh, there's a lot of tools there. I think you're going to see you know persecutors going to make a comeback, I, and it may even be you may see green black Eldrazi. Um, but like Eldrazi Monument, mm-hmm. I think. See, um, you're I, looking at Green Black's got a lot of ramp options, a lot of tokens, and you know there's something like, mm, Persecutor seems good if I'm sacrificing him to a monument to win the game. Yeah. Yeah, and nothing wrong with that. Maelstrom Pulse doesn't seem so bad. You know, you've got a lot of tutoring. Ancient Stirrings, I think, is, is a huge card for them. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that card is, you know, really way better than it looks. Well, yeah, especially if you're fishing for non-basic land, right? Yeah. I think Cedric hit it on the head with that. I think he, he said it's like the number one card he's looking forward to playing in DC himself. So who yeah. knows where that ends up. But the first time I played it, I whiffed <laughs> in Limited. Oh, 
card's terrible. <laughs> but after that, it was good. Um, I, I was saying, and I posted it on Twitter yesterday, like, I, I was thinking about all the limited I've played in the last two weeks, and I realized I've only lost one game, and it was a two-headed giant game. Everything else was either a win or a draw. I was like, wow, I'm kind of, I'm undefeated and limited in all these, you know, three events or something. But, uh, yeah, so, so many draws kind of doesn't seem as good, you know. <laughs> it doesn't feel like I, I, I won so much. Although, I mean, I won a bunch of packs. Blue-white levelers in limited seems ridiculous. Yeah. I've, the, all the decks that I went really far with um, was either the red-black on the back of Drana, who's a, a house in limited, which is like, if you open her play black, I don't care. I did and um, I didn't. I opened her in uh, on Friday, and I didn't play black. Um, but I went 3-1. Um, I, I, uh... You would have gone 4 if you had played black. No, no, you should have seen my black. It was awful. Um, no, it doesn't matter. Like, I, I, I also opened Sphinx of Magosi, so, um, there was that. Seems good and limited with training grounds, just saying. Which one does? Sphinx and uh, Magosi? Uh, no, no, Sphinx and Magosi. abilities cost two less. Oh, yeah, that does seem good with training grounds. Oh, my God. It costs one blue. That's pretty sick. pretty good in limited, right? Seems decent, yeah. Anyway. Training grounds is actually too. far better in limited than we all give it credit for. I mean, if you were playing, if you open a Sphinx and you're, that was the top end of your curve and a blue leveler, you're laughing all the way to the bank. It's ridiculous. Look, you... So, Joe Time just, of Heroes is a... Is a Bomb venerated teacher is probably going to become quickly one of the most drafted commons in the set. Yeah, he's just retarded. See, my experience with levelers though was, uh, I mean, was only in sealed, and I guess I just didn't have enough. I felt like I did, but uh, like I think one pool I opened a venerated teacher, and um, you know, but no time of heroes and just one teacher, and. Another pool, I think I opened a Time of Heroes and no no Venerated Teacher. And so it seemed like, man, if I could just get both of these cards and some levelers, it would be fantastic. But um, Now, I opened a pool with Training Grounds, Student of Warfare, um, Venerated Teacher times two, a Time of Heroes times two, and a boatload of levelers. I couldn't believe it. I looked at it and I'm like, what, did you just shuffle up a... a pre-con and throw it in my pack. Thank you very much. You right. know? <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, but it played really well, and I had the uh, the two blue and X instant. I had all sorts of, like, tap cards. I think one of my other rares was Surikar Spellblade or something, mm-hmm. which doesn't seem really good, but when you're playing it with, um, I guess what, there's the, the target creature gets plus one, plus one is unblockable rebound, the blue rebound instant. Yeah. He gets pretty good, just saying. Yeah, he, every time he gets played, like, it, he, he he basically says he has remove me written on him somewhere. Like. <laughs> yeah. It's true. And you've got all the white removal that bounces gross. Anyways, the blue-white is, is really, really, really powerful from an aggro standpoint in the format because everything else is designed to, you know, go long and ramp big and all that stuff. But you've got all the quick, neat answers in the blue-white package, and I think as far as limited goes, it's, it's ridiculous. It's the way to go, without question. If you've got the cards. Yeah. But anyways, we're not talking about limited. We're talking about standard. That's right. Good point. What, what, um, how do we feel about um, about Naya? Is Naya dead? I mean, like... It, it, I mean, it's definitely, like, quote, 
one of the old decks now. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like for some reason, Jund isn't, but that is. But like, like that deck came out like two weeks ago. That sucks. I'm gonna play Jund. Like, <laughs> I mean, obviously, uh, Basilisk Collar Cunning Spark Mage is pretty effective against all but one of the Eldrazi, and that's the one Eldrazi that's probably never gonna see constructed play. Um, what Ulamog? Yeah. I mean, Ulamog might see play, but I'm saying, like, Kozilek and Emrakul are way sexier. You know what I mean? Like, um, but I mean, so, I mean, Cunning Spark Mage collar combo kills both of those. Right. Um, so, I mean, does that deck become stronger now? I mean, like, some people were talking, I I keep, I, I don't really, I haven't really been paying too much attention to, like, people's deck lists, um... It, for the quote new standard, um, but I I keep seeing people talking about red green aggro, like I've seen things pop up here and there about people playing red green aggro. Hmm. I don't know where I saw that or if that was like that could have been that could have been from a pro tour player's blog and it could have been from you know Joe Schmo's blog. You know what I mean? Right. Like, no offense to you or me, Joe. <laughs> um, but like red green aggro, like seems like a possibility. Um, all all haste all day, right? I think I saw that it was on uh, was it on Starkington Post or something. It might have been, yeah. Actually, yeah, it was on Starkington Post. No, that was the thing, and that's why I kind of ignored it, honestly, uh, because it was, you know, like it was posted like last week. And it was pre-rise. That's what it was. It was like pre-rise. I'm like, why do I want to look at a list pre-rise the Eldrazi when we got a new set that's about to be launched? Yeah, it always seems funny to me. I never know why people bother like posting anything without Rise of the Eldrazi cards in it before rise, like like in between the pre-release and launch party. Like, it just seems like no, like <laughs> I don't even think about like like I wanted to build a deck for standard and like everyone's like, what are you gonna play? I'm like, I have no idea. I'm focused on limited right now. <laughs> Like, I'm like, this is, this is my week to immerse myself in, in limited. So I guess the, the question kind of begs, and, and you know what, we're, you, you made the comment of it being focused on limited, and I think that the whole community needs to give a really big yell out to Marshall and Ryan over limited resources. Oh man. Oh, absolutely. are unbelievable. You know, you're MTG cast brothers and that's great, but you know what, seriously, without them and, and without their analysis you know, from that perspective, I don't think that half of us would be as good limited players as we, as we are. I've straight team. up, I've said that in one of them. I went so far in the podcast, I was like, you know, think about how many wins everyone who listens to us can can attribute to Marshall and Ryan. Like, like I think I think that because I think my my limited rating should be above sixteen hundred now. Finally. <laughs> um, and uh, I easily have them to thank for that. We, I, I, in the wake of the limited batch that we've been through in the last couple of weeks, you know, as a community, I just uh, it was worthwhile to, to just mention it. I think because you know the work that they do, I, it's just really awesome, and I, I'm, they just need the recognition. That was all. But anyways, I, I, as far as Naya goes, I I believe it's going to be tough to see like what what were you playing red in Naya anyway. Like you're playing, so you use red to fuel the cattle, which right now, arguably, there, since rise, there are far better options to, to put out there. Uh, student of warfare comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just you see some far better fit. The only other red you're playing in there really is is lightning bolt 
Blood Braid Elf. Yeah. You know, now it's it's really tough to say, well, you know, it is Blood Braid Elf. You know, is it worth splashing the red for Blood Braid Elf? And then you had what Cunning Spark Mage out of the board. I just, I don't know, it, it feels like those were trying to address a specific metagame hole. Maybe I'm wrong, but, you know, it almost feels like you can get more return out of just running it green-white um, and, and using the Skyfisher to reliably trigger the, the Vengevine. I, you know, now, if Naya lives, I think that it will be obviously Vengevine-based, and somebody will figure it out, I'm sure, and it will be it'll be there. But I don't think it's going to pass into tier one. Right. There's no there's no way. Yeah, I guess uh, I guess we get to wait and see. And there's there's um, something coming up. What is it? A, a uh, Atlanta 5K coming up? Is there? Yeah, I think uh, in like a week. It might be right around the same time. It might be this weekend, like May first. I don't oh. know. I have to check it out. It might be the second week. Well, I'm going there. to the new the new standard open that yeah, the guys from O2 Drop are hosting um, May first. Um, so I'm really excited to to get a look at what's going on around there. Right. Uh, get a free... well. I'd, cer- I'd certainly be going to that if I lived in the area too, because those guys are awesome as well. Yeah. And I think that event's going to be the shit. I agree. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm curious what comes out of that, and then I'll be curious to see what comes out of Atlanta. Um, Evan Irwin posted, uh, he he tweeted, like, the first FNM results from, like, Roanoke, Virginia, basically when Mm -hmm. the first first tournament results that he had, as far as deck lists, uh, with Rise actually being standard legal. I haven't looked at him yet, but there's apparently at least a polymorph list in there because I saw people referring to it. And that's, that's the other thing, like, Polymorph. I don't think we've really mentioned it exactly. I wanted to get to that, obviously, too. Um, you know, the 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 impetus is to lean towards polymorph summoning trap, different ways to cheat out the Eldrazi. And the question that's been on my mind this whole time, because at first when I first saw it, I was like, oh my god, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do. That's exactly what I'm going to do. You know, summoning trap all the way, instant speed, EOT. You know, here comes Emrakul. Um But. I'm obviously not the only person who's thinking that, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of people thinking that. So do you, do you go there or do you go against that? Yeah, you know no, that's I mean? kind like, of what you were saying a couple minutes ago. It's like really what it comes down to. Like, it's like, do you, do you give in to the trap? You know what I mean? Right. It, it, is, it is a trap. Is it a trap? It yeah. is a trap. <laughs> so like, do you, do you walk into it or do you, um... Do you try to fight against it? And I think that that's like, you know, a lot of people have that decision to make (laughs) this week. Um, You know, what do you do? Like, that's why I want to run, I mean, I want to run Negate in this deck so bad. Um, I don't see where it would fit. But that's also why I'm thinking I might just run Blue-White Control this weekend. Um, Scotty, do you have... I think that if you're up against a summoning trap deck, and Medina hit it on the head, guys... I think Mindbreak Trap's not horrible anymore. No. Yeah, it's kind of funny that it ends up that way, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's interesting that now it actually is something to consider um, yeah. with all and this. Dis- and Dispel, I think, is, is going to become big, too. That's something uh, I was uh, thinking uh, about, yeah. Weapon, uh, both in the blue-white mirror as well as against Summoning Trap. Right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. I mean, and I've been thinking about it because, of course, everybody's talking about it, and I'm thinking, all right. But Dispel, yeah. I mean, like... Now here's the thing: Do you want to run dispel or do you want to run spell pierce? I mean, because dispel doesn't take care of polymorph, and if polymorph's a big problem, I mean, of course you've got other counter spells, but like you know, if you need to tap, you know, practically out for that Jace, 
you know, mm-hmm. what would you rather have one mana up for in the long run? Would you rather have one mana up for a spell pierce or or a dispel? Right. Because dispel's only going to deal with instants, but spell pierce will punish anyone who decides to tap out for their polymorph. You know, or even if they have five. If they're on five and you're on five, you win. You know what I mean, basically, if you have the dis- if you have the spell pierce. Um, so it really comes down to that, I think. Um, uh, yeah, it's a, that's a kind of a dilemma, I guess. It just kind of... You know, no, this is a dilemma. Um, sorry, but no. As far as like, as a, uh, you know, as a blue white control player, hearing all this, you know, craziness about summoning trap and polymorph, I'm like, all right, well, I don't want to counter creature spells anymore. <laughs> like, I don't want to play <laughs> essence scatter, um, like essence, as, because basically they're just going to get a free summoning trap. I've already had that happen to me already. Like. In in an F and M, you know, somebody played like I don't even know what it was. It might have been like a turn two. You know, they, they were playing a green ramp deck. Kind of, it was it was Matt actually. Mm, I it, it was like uh, turn two, something decent that cost three, or or maybe it was even turn three where uh, he might have played like Wolfbriar or I don't know. And I was just like, yeah, all right, I'll essence scatter that. And uh, and he's like summoning trap into Avenger of Zendikar. I was just like, oh my god. And then, of course, he just destroyed me after that. I'm like, oh, right. Didn't see that one coming. I guess that's why it's a trap. <laughs> but um, I was like, well, I'm not counting any more creature spells. <laughs> I need to hold my counters for summoning traps and polymorphs. So it's almost like, uh, do you just cut the essence scatter? Which is, I've done that here anyway. It is more narrow, obviously, than deprive. I just um, want to run a full... I mean, I honestly just want to run a full place at a negate. Well, um, negate works just as well, too. But And that's what I was saying. Like, do you just not worry about counter... Not focus so much on countering creatures and just re- focus on dealing with them once they're in play? Absolutely. And, I think, like, Oblivion Ring, Journey to Nowhere, Path, uh, Wall of Omens mm-hmm. uh, is, 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 is soft removal. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I just think that those things are a little more vital to control than things like, you know, countering the creatures or something, you know, like, right. I think, I think the only, the only thing I can throw in here is, is from my Esper control experiences. That's the way I prefer to handle it too, is use the cards, use the removal that you've got at your disposal to handle the creatures and just focus your counters on the things that are going to disrupt what you want to do. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I think that that makes sense. Um, you know, sometimes it just it depends on what you're actually playing as removal. Because of course, path to exile, you know, you're ramping them too, and that in Esper you have the option of playing something like Doomblade. So it's not really as uh, it doesn't hurt you as much to use that. Or smother, which seems really good. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's an interesting balance you need to find. But um, you know, those were my thoughts as far as like. If summoning trap becomes such a big deal, I just need to make sure I counter summoning trap and then just wrath like the mana creatures away, or play Linvala and uh, then their mana creatures don't really do all that much. Even if they're ramping into summoning trap, counter the summoning summoning trap, play Linvala, and then that's you know, then they're kind of stuck in a crummy situation where their creatures are all like terrible and uh, and they can't do anything and. You know, just hold counters for summoning traps. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So, uh... So, mono red, obviously, we think it's going to go all in. I think I think it's a neat strategy. It's so much like 
bust through the wall. Like, all I'm going to do is just run straight at you, and if you can stop me, that's it. And if not, you know, great, I win. Either way, the rounds last all of seven minutes, I'm sure. I, I think mono red, I think we need to, we, we should consider it, and, and I don't know if, if it's going to be widely adopted, but I think that if you can get a good player playing it, it's going to cause a lot of problems for, you know, Jund with its supposed traditionally shaky mana base and blue-white, green, you know, mana-hungry control is, I know uh, Billy Moreno, mm-hmm. awesome blog writer lately, just been on a tear. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, I can't even keep up. You guys mentioned last cast, I think, right? Yeah. So he's built a, like a, an Adrian Sullivan-style land destruction Ponza list, which is like mid-range red splash, you know, quality removal with uh, land destruction. But I think that, um, you know, if we want to look at that from, from another mono-red potential contender, you know, we're all looking to do greedy things with, with mana one way or another. And a mana denial strategy where there's plenty enough ramp in Everflowing Chalice to get us up to, you know, four is the new three, um, could be something. Rolling terrain is brutal. Now, <laughs> that one, I mean, which one is that one? The, sorry? Which one is uh, rolling terrain? I forgot what that so does. That's, that's the one that's uh, maybe royally terrain. Yeah, and uh, deals, you know, destroys the land and then deals damage to the controller equal to the number of lands in the graveyard. So, you know, I mean, Joe, think about your mythic. You know, and <laughs> yeah, think about uh, realms on and tectonic edges and all the crap in the graveyard, and all of a sudden, you know, two two rolling terrains and good game. <laughs> right, that sounds pretty sick. Yeah, you know, but... and I mean, you're getting there early with um, with the the chalice and there's lots of other there's lots of quality creatures that you know can either clog up the board or removal that will get you there i mean chandra ablaze in that scenario is actually really good because you know she allows you you know you're just using her for a wheel of fortune effector or mini wheel or gas yeah. and you know dumping the opponent's hand putting more lands or more whatever the hell they've got in the graveyard and refilling your hand at the same time you know they've spent all this time planning around okay well if i get land i'm gonna do this and start over yeah you know that's a good anyway point. Could, could be worth mentioning if you haven't checked out the list he's put up a few with potential color splashes as well and, and i think they look pretty uh they look pretty sick i'm guessing goblin god doesn't fit into that deck huh no <laughs> <laughs> um but it's uh but they look good and, and i mean I, I just think that with all this doing greedy things i mean you know how good tectonic edge is by itself right well imagine having a deck that can do that like 12 times yeah, that's pretty sick. <laughs> that does seem pretty sick. Wow, it's like exciting. It's so exciting right now, like to see what's going to happen, like what kind of things people come up with that are actually going to be viable strategies. Like I'm just excited to see what happens. Although some of these decks sound awfully scary, <laughs> the mono red in particular. Um, and I guess since we since we are playing this in the podcast, if people don't know what we're talking about, um, Patrick Chapin posted a um, a mono red list in his latest article Monday. Uh, what is it, April twenty sixth? In in his article today, he posted a mono red list that was basically what four goblin guides, four devastating summons, four goblin bushwhacker, four Cargan dragon lord, bunch of burn. Anything important that I'm missing? No, I think you covered the bases there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like Searing Blaze and uh, Forked Bolt. And um, 
I think uh, I think Stagger Shock might be in there. It better yeah, be. It's an awesome card. Um, so yeah, and it's like with Goblin Guide on turn one hits for two. On turn two, you can almost play anything. Say you uh, play, I don't know, uh, Lightning Bolt, whatever. It's the most generic thing I can think of. Um, so now they they take two again from the Goblin Guide and a Bolt, so they've taken seven, so they're at 13. On turn three, if you play uh, Goblin Bushwhacker and Devastating Summon, sacrificing all of your lands, you get two three threes, and then you end up swinging for, what, three, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, like fourteen, am I right? Or, or thirteen, exactly. 13. thirteen, exactly. So turn three, win. You know, if with no, basically no, uh, disruption. no disruption. Because if you don't, if you kick the bushwhacker, don't they all get plus one plus zero as well? Yeah, and that's what I was, that's what I was counting. So it's like the the three threes are attacking for four each, so that's eight. The uh, bushwhackers attacking for two, and bushwhackers the attacking for three. Right, bushwhackers two and goblin yeah. guides at three, so that's thirteen total. So I mean, you win on turn three with no disruption. I mean, if they've got any kind of slow draw or like you know, and if you're on the draw, I mean, on the play. I mean, they're on. They go uh, island, um, plains, tap, chalice, go. You're they're dead. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's. A, yeah, but they're probably hip to your strategy. Well, I, I'm just saying. Yeah, you need to what mulligan into path or wall of omens or some sort of deprive. Or you know, for devastating summons. Right. Oh, that's what I'm saying. Something they need to. It's like a pretty tough position to be in because you need to make sure you mulligan into. Something that's gonna let you uh, counter that devastating summons. And uh, and for the record, spell pierce does not counter it because if they have three mana, they have two floating when they cast it. Although it does ca- keep them from bushwhacking, but right, you, you know they can't kick bushwhacker if they've uh, if they had to pay for your spell pierce. That's true. So that at least keeps them off the haste. And then you in fact that, the next turn. <laughs> yeah, in fact that actually is probably the best <laughs> best play you could do is like. They might just let it get countered and then use their two mana for something else right. before because they now have no lands. You right. Know? Um, that might be the smarter play, but I haven't played mono red in so long that like I really want to play it, even though it's it's. I think partly because it is the exact opposite of what I normally play. It is like so far opposite that I, I just want to try it. Plus, I want to play with Cargan Dragon Lord. He's really good in that strategy, by the way. Yeah, it seems like that. And uh, Chapin made a good point. I mean, and I said to Joe earlier, it's even it's kind of funny that he even needed to make the point. But um, the fact that Cargan Dragon Lord is not a dragon, and it's you know, what is he like a human knight or something like that? Right. But, but I mean, it, it, it's relevant because Baneslayer doesn't just you know chump it all day. So, uh, you know, Baneslayer being protection from dragons, it, that's not relevant to Cargan Dragonlord. Let's see, what what other decks? I mean, so what happens to vampires? We were just saying maybe just going to uh, Eldrazi Monument, maybe, but... Well, did... for a block, but, uh... I mean, I think that vampires actually got better with this set, but I think that, like, you know, the the more casual players will not notice because they'll be so busy trying to fill their deck with the new vampires... Where I don't think that any of the new vampires are really worthwhile for that deck, but I do think maybe maybe Pawn of Ulamog, maybe Arrogant Bloodlord. Um, but I really think that overall, um, the main thing that makes that deck stronger are the you know is 
the um, what do you call it? The consuming vapors. Yeah. Um, is really strong. Um, maybe consume the meek, but I mean that kills a lot of their creatures too. Yeah, I don't know if consume the meek goes in vampires. Right, but I'm just saying, like, I mean, like, Consuming Vapors, definitely. Like, somebody was showing me their vampire deck. I forget who it was. Oh, it was Harrison, and Harrison had Tendrils of Corruption in there, and he was like, well, what do I put in place of, like, how do I fit Consuming Vapors in? And I was just like, Tendrils, Tendrils, come <laughs> <Right>. on. <laughs> like, just put those in, and your deck's yeah. inst- instantly that much better. Um, so, I mean, I think that, like I said, I think that people are going to be distracted by the new vampires, but I think that overall that deck got stronger when the when the dust settles, as we put it, um, <laughs> you know. I, I think it's a huge option for block, there's no question. I just, I honestly, I don't see it, I don't see it making the cut for standard right now, guys. Yeah. I think that there's too much other stuff uh, that's come out for some already powerful decks that kind of edge this one off to the side. I, I just don't think it'll get there. And it'll end up beating me, you know, and making me O2 drop in, in DC, but that's fine. <laughs> I still don't think it's going to get there. Yeah, well, and you make, uh, you kind of reminded me of something else, is that people seem to be thinking, like, because of the Eldrazi or something, that Iona isn't as good. Like, people are cutting her and not even thinking about her, and it's kind of like... I still think she's pretty damn good. Like, she still does the same thing just because now they can play an Eldrazi. Like, you know. Hey, uh, I, I got a question. Um, to get Eldrazi on the board, for the most part, before you've locked them down and killed them with Jace, don't they have to cast a blue or a green spell? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, Polymorph or Summoning Trap. They need to yeah, play that, one of those. So, just check. Exactly. You, you shut them out of one of their colors. Especially, like, if. I mean, if there's a blue-green polymorph summoning trap deck, which is kind of actually not happening, it just seems kind of, I, I don't know. I guess it could happen, uh, combination I think, both I of think them. Green, green, the, uh, the green-blue polymorph seems pretty good. It seems fairly consistent and quick. I just feel like uh, without white for silence, yeah. you're potentially in a world of hurt. I think that if you're going to go polymorph, I think that the way to go is a blue-white control shell using token-generating creature or token-generating spells, or you know, and and just specific targets in there. I, I don't think that uh, it's it's going to be viable in green-blue reliably to beat the proposed blue-white field. Right, but uh, but yeah, so so. Iona just seems like she still does the same thing. Like, shutting somebody out of one of their colors, especially if one of their colors also is all of their colors, like <laughs> vampires, um, that's still pretty damn good. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I think people seem to have shrugged her off as if, oh, she sucks now, but no, she really doesn't. Like, yeah, you can cast an Eldrazi. Good luck doing that in time, you know, while you're trying to sit there get to your mana now to, to play your Eldrazi because you have to hard cast it, um, I'll just sit here and either have a counter spell or an answer for whatever it is you, you know, for whatever Eldrazi it is you happen to play. Or, or I'll just win before then. That kind of thing. I mean, yeah. it, it seems like she's still just as good. Now, I don't know how much that'll apply after we have uh, Scars of Mirrodin if there's a ton of artifact kind of things going on, but... If they're colored artifacts, then it's still, 
is the same. It's, it's still just as relevant. And, and I yeah. think we're going to see some colored artifacts in Scars of Mirrodin because they introduced that in, uh, you know, in shards. So why Actually, would... they introduced that in Future Sight. Did, did they have colored artifacts in Future Sight? Sarcomite Mirror. Oh, was it? Oh, what did you say? It, it is blue or no, something? No, it, or... it cost a blue one, too. It was oh, I didn't an artifact really, creature remember mirror. that, yeah. And I think it could cycle or something like that. Oh, okay. I forgot about that. I actually think that that's going to be one of the cards that gets reprinted. Yeah, that makes sense, because the mirror are from Mirrodin. Right, so, so Sarcomite Mirror cost a blue and two. That's a good point. But, uh, but yeah, so we, um, you know, we'll see what happens with Iona. But I, I, just, I just wanted to mention her, because she is still just as good, I think, as she ever was. And maybe yeah. even more so if people think that nobody's playing with her. True. Yeah. Um... So I guess that brings us to Blue Eye Control or Junt? Yeah, I mean, I think those... Blue Eye Control gained a lot. Blue Eye Control um, has, I think, like, officially, if it wasn't before, has officially made the jump to Tier 1. You know what I mean? Oh, it like, definitely. I think it already was. I, it was already Tier 1, but I mean, like, it's... Like, it could possibly be making a run for the crown, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, it was Tier 1 before, but now it could possibly be, like, the next Jund in the way that, like, you know, percentage of the field um, wins, etc. Like, you know. The only thing I think that would normally, or that would uh, potentially keep it from having those kind of percentages is the amount of rares in the deck. Because Jund is, like... All commons and uncommons, and Maelstrom Pulse, like, pretty much. I mean, there's a couple more things here and there, and there's different versions of it, but, um, you know, some fetch lands, and, you know, here and there, but... Well, the mana base in general. Right, I'm just saying, like, Jund, I think part of its dominance, and when I say dominance, I mean its dominance of the percentages, um, comes from the fact that it's such a cheap deck, and so... I don't think Blue Eye Control is as cheap, considering it's got Baneslayers in most versions. That already outprices it from Jund, right? I mean, but let alone Jace. Right, exactly. <laughs> so you've got basically uh, what four hundred dollars worth of cards between those two, and so uh, that that's pretty much more expensive than Jund by by itself. So I don't know that it'll run the numbers, you know, like that way. I don't, I don't know it'll, that it'll hit those kind of numbers as Jund, but. And you know what? It's it's interesting because you can you can take these analyses from two different perspectives, right? I mean, we can look at it from the side to say, what are the top eights going to look like? What are the pros going to be playing? You know, and then you can take it from the perspective of what are you going to be grinding against in the first four rounds? And you obviously need to prepare for both. But I think if we were to talk about you know decks as being tier one versus tier two, I I would think that that argument is had uh, over the results as opposed to presence right right that makes sense you know, so in that in that regard i think that i think that the blue white is going to be far more heavily played or some incarnation of it right. uh, by the pros at the top levels and i think that you're going to see you know far more of it in the top eight uh than you have seen you know in in any of the tournaments prior and i think that that's that's a key differential there i mean granted you're going to be grinding against john and vampires and crap all day like that's just how it is right yeah, uh-huh. and you know, especially if you're talking about Grand Prix. I mean, if this were you know a PTQ or a PT, then you you know you can kind of look at the numbers differently, you know, or a local standard tournament. But you know, I think that 
I think that the major one that we need to consider are the ones that are going to, you know, be the most powerful. And I mean, there's no argument that Jen's the most powerful, but, you know, I think that blue-white, we're, we're underestimating the field for it by saying it's not going to be, you know, at least 40% of what's, or, sorry, it's going to at least double in popularity from where it's been. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. You know, um, equal numbers of it in Janda, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put the price past past it be- just because of the number of pros that I think are going to pick it up and start adopting it. Because yeah. it's got all the best cards right now except for Blood Raid Elf. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. So, um, any other standard decks that we haven't talked about much? Um, some people think that um, Turbo Fog's going to come back. It could, but it needs to win other than milling people, I think, if Eldrazi are going to be around. That's a good point. So they're going to need... It's going to well, need to be a... Well, hold on a minute. They will just play Relic of Progenitus. Right, I mean, and they could do that. There's there's other options, you're right, but I'm, I I think that... Uh, I, yeah, they, they would have to play Relic of Progenitus if there's Eldrazi around, but I think they might also just go with the... They could do the Tezzeret kind of thing if there's a bunch of artifacts. I guess it depends on which version of Turbo Fog. When I think of it, I always keep thinking of the Timesiv combo version, which is... You know, more of a, I'm going to attack you with a bunch of artifacts kind of thing. Um, or mill you out with something like Jace. But, yeah, you're right. Um, Relic of Progenitus works. And now Jace the Mind Sculptor gives another, you know, a way of milling without milling. So if Turbo Fog gets rolling, I think it's going to be something like Jace the Mind Sculptor that becomes the win condition. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll have to see what happens with that because uh, I guess we're going to have to see what happens with all of this stuff but it all we have so many choices so I think as far as like players now can almost choose any kind of deck that they want to play and have a reasonable amount uh, you know they have a reasonable amount of cards to choose from to make that that deck uh, relatively strong it might not they might not make it the best deck but I think that somebody could build a mono black control deck right now that could be decent compete for sure. I mean everybody was complaining it doesn't have a sweeper. Well, it's got kind of two in this in this set. Right. I mean consuming vapors is kind of a sweeper. It's you know only for two creatures but all is does definitely. Right. All of, Oh okay, I'm sorry. Then 3 cuz consume the meek, consuming vapors and uh all is dust. I mean I'm considering consuming vapors kind of a sweeper because it is a two for one. Um Right, and it's a huge tempo loss. Only one creature. We shouldn't be either. What's that, Scott? Plus the life gain, which shouldn't be ignored either. Exactly. The life gain, and then the fact that you've got other uh, removal. So, you know, if they have maybe three creatures on the board, if you Doomblade one and then Consuming Vapors, they're going to lose all three. So it's, you know, there's ways to uh, to make that into basically a sweeper. So I think Mono Black Control could actually be a viable deck. Now, I don't think it... I don't know if it has enough to be Tier 1, but it's at least playable. I mean, people can try it and uh, and still win with it, I think. All of the rogue decks right now get the same advantage that they have normally, but even more so, I think, at this point, because the format seems to be so untested. Yeah. You know, there's there's so many very apparent additions to, you know, all the top-tier decks that you can adjust to those pretty quickly from your own rogue strategy standpoint. And, you know, if, if you are you know, playing the top-tier and trying to encounter the rogue, there are so many options that, yeah, you're absolutely, you know, you're absolutely screwed. You, you've got to really understand every single card in the format to try to eke out, you know, or try to level that that uh, advantage. 
Right. Exactly. I guess besides standard, do you uh, anybody have any sleeper picks for cards that uh, that they think could be picked up for really cheap right now and could could see some kind of increase in value? What's the traction with Thought Gorger? Tell me. Well, it's basically it's uh he costs two black and two. He is a two two trample. When he enters the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on it for each card in your hand. If you do, discard your hand. Uh, when he leaves the battlefield, draw a card for each plus one plus one counter on it. So you kind of you go all in on him, but if they remove him, you get to draw cards. So playing him early, you've got a pretty fat trampler. I mean, he's not he's got evasion, he's got trample. That's like I think that's what makes him playable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I I see. I think he's he's a critical staple in the mono black crypt deck that yeah. I'm running around. Exactly. And, you know, mono black it's major opportunity. You know, aside from sweepers, which clearly we've established has been you know solved, uh, is is a lack of card draw without cannibalizing you know your life points. And although there's a plenty amount of life gain, you know, and Simon Blood is fine. Um, it just feels like the the thought gorger when you're combining a huge quantity of dudes anyway in your hand uh, that are all black, and you know you need to draw into more cards. If you're using Crypt of Agony to fuel insane mana, something, um, you know, yeah, I'll throw away five cards and, and I'll present this big fatty that you now have to deal with. And if you don't, I'm you know going to kill you with it, <laughs> or right. you deal with it, and I you know get a new hand of cards, and now I've got you know incremental resource advantage uh, right. through my Crypt of Agony. Yeah, so being able to play him... Tectonic Edge and Spreading Season and shenanigans, he, he seems like he just fits really well in that deck. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, yeah, he fits perfectly in that. That's almost like the perfect place for him. I, I was just looking at him as a generic creature that, sure, you got to dump your hand, but you draw... You, you don't lose those cards. You lose those cards, but you draw... <laughs> You know, draw them back as soon as they deal with the creature. And if some of those are blood ghasts, uh... right? If, if you exactly now you start finding ways to make to take advantage of the fact that this stuff is in your graveyard, like blood gas, like crypt of agadine, you know, like the or, fact that or you know, if you were going with that black green option that we were discussing briefly earlier, uh, it, they could be blood gas and venge vines, guys. Right, blood gas, venge vines, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. So. And and that's what I'm saying. For four mana, if as long as you've got a reasonable sized hand, uh, you know, and you're not just discarding nothing, because then a two two trampler doesn't seem all that great. Uh, I, I think he's just got some potential. You know, I'm not saying he's the the Tarmogoyf of the set, but I think he really is. Um, he's got potential to be really an, an interesting creature to play with. So there's there's Thought Gorger. That's a good one. Um, I think a Renegade Doppelganger now is actually better than I thought, uh, as I was saying before. I think at the, you know, 50 cent to a dollar range that he is right now, I don't, I don't even know if he's a dollar, but uh, at that price, you might as well pick up some, and if they double, you know, you doubled your money. Being able to give your creatures this kind of pseudo-haste, dropping a creature and being able to swing with the Doppelganger and still have a creature back is better than just dropping a creature that just has haste and swinging with it, because now you have a blocker as well. Right. In, in creature-heavy builds, like, you know, Mythic or something like that, then I can totally see this, you know, but, I mean, I wouldn't say I'd put it in Mythic, but you know what I'm saying? I think that... In a build that's, that's creature-heavy, where, 
you know, he's not going to be a bad, necessarily a bad late game top deck. Right. And I can agree. Um, so that's another sleeper. And, and now I think um, everybody's kind of catching on to the possibility of devastating summons being, you know, something that could go up to a couple bucks. <laughs> now I think I'm going to borrow your Renegade Doppelgangers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just th- those are some of, some of my picks anyway. And, and devastating summons, you know, is strictly due to Chapin's uh, article today that everybody's kind of going crazy about it. But, you know. That's how things become uh, valuable. Somebody breaks it, and it's and it's good. Even if it's only a, it becomes like a three dollar card. Right now, it's fifty cents. So, any other uh, cards that you're thinking might be better than they look? I got a few. I think um, I initially latched onto Lightmind Field and Gideon mm-hmm. together. Seems pretty good. Um, I really like. The uh, Lord of Shadow Skull Pass is crap load better than I think, you know, if you're looking at a mid-range red in some way, shape, or form that you're also looking to try to control board presence with. I'm looking at him alongside of a deck with Kazool, things mm-hmm. like that. Hmm. That sort of deck. Big red. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Duran is crazy. Good finisher, I think, potentially for black or vampires at the top of the curve. I think the uh, the last one that I'm really excited about is snapping training grounds in half. <laughs> that's just crazy. I mean, there's that infinite combo that's out there, which is extremely fragile and crazy, but, you know, the point is, is that's sort of what initially leads you into, you know, with the filigree stages and the colony gem and, and, you know, the infinite mana back and forth that way. Right. Yeah. But I think that uh, it's just an, one example of how ridiculous this card is from an RT's perspective. Like, that's crazy. So, uh, anything else that you wanted to say, Scott? I think that's it so far. Um, the party's at the Wingate. Oh! oh <laughs> beat me to it. Oh, <laughs> your thunder! Beat me to it. <laughs> no, you never coming on a podcast uh, anymore. You yeah, can't steal my thunder. The other one I, I want to say is, is make sure you, you, you get on... Uh, I want my MTG and vote for for the T-shirts for Grand Prix DC. That's because, right. Uh, Thank you. You know, gray with black and white is where it's at. And if I'm caught dead wearing mythic orange, I'm gonna shave Big Joe. <laughs> okay. you shave your head, Big Head Joe. Huh? So like a vote. Let's go. He he said if it's mythic orange. What did you say? If it was mythic rare orange. He said if it's if it's mythic rare orange, I'm gonna shave Big Joe. That's how it's going to be. Like they, Wait, Big, Big Joe? Joe? You, don't know, you don't know what you're talking about there. You didn't realize that uh, Big Joe uh, has different connotations than Big Head Joe. Um, so, uh, I, I actually, I, I'm sorry, no means no, and I say no. Um, and I'm glad we got that on tape anyways, because I'm going to shave Big Joe is totally going on the podcast now. Uh the only other thing that I think I really need to make sure I get in there is, um, oh, God, there's this guy that listens sometimes, and I hear he's pretty important. He's kind of a big deal. Mm. Um, right. A- Michael J. Forrest. That's it. I think I know who you mean. Yeah. No, we just, we, we got we to gotta spread the love out to, to, to Michael J. Michael J. Michael J. He hasn't been very happy with he hasn't been happy with the lack of Michael J. references lately. Um, so I guess, uh, you know, he thinks for, uh, Flame Slash is pretty damn good. That's true, yeah. 
and, and, and forked Bolt. Notice yeah. that almost all of them made it into Chapin's list on his, uh, on his mono red deck, which I thought was kind of neat. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That is true. Um, um, he yeah. also likes uh, Doctor Who a whole lot. That's right, Doctor Who. I didn't know anything about Doctor Who until I read that, and I was kind of like, this kind of sounds neat. Yeah. I, I'm going to have to watch that episode. I, I was looking at it on my iPods, I mean my iPhone, so I didn't watch the episodes, but I'm going to watch them. Right. No, I actually really enjoyed the uh, the TV blog. Um, yeah. And I like what he said about Lost, because people like, out of nowhere, like everybody loved Lost, and now they're, they're, there's like this backlash of like oh lost is terrible it's terrible and it's like what what are you talking about it's absolutely not terrible um and i I like what uh what well mike posted what zvi said about it which was that it's it's complicated but that's what makes it so good you know it's like magic it is complicated for a newcomer to to try to break into this game it's just as complicated for somebody to break into that show but it's worth it, you know? It's absolutely worth it. Oh, I have designs on watching every single episode. I just haven't watched one yet. Yeah. Are you a Lost fan, Scott? You know what? I have to tell you, um, it's not a show I've ever gotten into. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I, I have nothing bad to say about the show because <laughs> I hear a lot of good things about it, you know, from a, an entertainment and, and philosophical standpoint, which I think is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, again, I'm in the boat where I'll watch... When I watch it, I'll watch them all. Yeah, right, exactly. And I will demolish, you know, two weeks' worth of all of the seasons and just do it. Yeah, and I think that's great. I'm going to do that anyway, even though I've seen I, them all. I have, I have never watched it, but that's just because I haven't seen episode one. And I won't watch something unless I can start from the very beginning. And this is obviously one of those shows where it's required. Yeah. But no, I'd uh, really uh, excited to see what, what uh, Michael J. comes out with next. Yeah. Sure. Because I know that, uh, you know, based on the, the inferences we've been seeing on Twitter, it looks like he and Thomas Dodd are brewing something up pretty crazy. And yeah. And looking forward to uh, getting in touch with those guys before uh, or after regionals or, I guess, the national qualifiers, as they've been dubbed now. Well, we should see... We should, together for GPDC. Yeah, Thomas Dodd will, will be at GPDC. And, you know, we all want Michael J to be at GPDC, but... I don't know if he can do it, but we would love to see him there. Yeah, it would be it would be very nice. All right, All right guys. Well, thank you very much for having me on the show. It's yeah. been a pleasure, and uh, I will uh, see you guys soon. I'm yeah, sure we'll right. be in touch, and I will see you at the Wingate. All yeah, right, right. Sounds good. That's what a party is, and I know you what a party is, mate. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. See you later. Magic, your mind. Pick a verse, any verse. I hypnotize you with every line. I'll need a volunteer. How about you with the eyes? Come on down to the front. Stay right here and don't be shy. I have you time traveling. Have your mind babbling. People trying to inherit the skills, so they asking it. Even David Blaine had to go and take some classes in. I see mind freak like, what's up, man? What's happening? So come one, come on and see the show tonight. Prepare to be astounded. No ghost or poltergeist. You know I'm no Pinocchio. I never told a lie.
Are those waffles? No. Why the f*** would I bring waffles? Ooh, those are pancakes. Berg, I told you, you're going to get syrup all over your cards again. Why do you think I bought the extra sleeves?